Blog Talk Radio. Share your knowledges, 
your knowledge, and your experiences on this subject and discuss it, which has had an impact on the whole worldwide community. We welcome you to Africa on the Move. Our order for today will be we will discuss the segment, what's going on in our community, what's going on in our world and the community, then followed by, then followed by our theme today, what they're not saying about the coronavirus. Like always, you can participate by calling in at 323-679-0841 and share your views and comments by hitting number one, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So like always, this program is for the people, and you know, given the fact that we are dedicated this particular program to read and support newsletter, we would like to ask our panelists and analysts for the day to give a brief introduction to those who may not know who they are. So panelists, let's get started with our party by first welcoming Brother Haki to Africa on the move. Political struggle, political struggle over 40 years. I'm coming with African awareness. And, of course, you know, my thing is all about institution building. You know, one of the things, Brother Africa, you know, I find extraordinary is this pension for violence in the context of capitalist society. And this pension of violence permeates every aspect of society, and it's very, very interesting. But anyway, I, I read this article and I wrote this. Now, destruction, creative and otherwise, has long been infested of Western thought. Starting in 1798, Thomas Robert Malthus, religious cleric and economist, put forth the theory of population control necessary because population growth would always exceed food supply. Inherent in his argument was, was any monetary support for the poor is ill-advised because such support would encourage them to have children. In the scientific realm, in 1951, various biological innovations were created for the purpose of minimizing black birth by employing asparagus formongus aerosol against black populations. In 1983, Raymond Zelensky, molecular biologist, utilized a recombinant DNA to create a virus that prevents the body's antibody defenses from fighting infections. Then we call that AIDS. Now, most of us uh, know the name Walter Bassoon, the South African cardiologist, was credited with the creation of recombinant HIV, Ebola, and SARS, of course, with the assistance and financial assistance of the CIA. Economics, uh, the dismal science, has institutionalized processes ensured the impoverished receives just enough financial assistance to subsist. Even levels of subsistence are being eliminated because the poor's labor is no longer needed. Automation has replaced workers. When the orange minutes cuts an additional billion, along with the previous $3.5 billion, the $4.5 billion cuts will be implicated in the depths, directly implicated in depths, attributed to the lack of protein intake. Now, in the depth, now depth in destruction is the point. The end game here is to eradicate those whose existence is unimportant or superfluous. Now, religion, the system of organized thought, also has been impacted by destructiveness. This paradox is particularly exhibited by Christian fundamentalism, driven by a desire to see the elimination of non-believers, their hopes and aspirations lies with state-sanctioned killings, and their hopes of eliminating 7 billion people from the planet, leaving 144,000 survivors who would reign with Jesus Christ. Achieving this feat would be difficult, but perhaps the odds of winning a $500 billion lottery ticket would be easier. Nonetheless, the desire to see destruction is probable. Support for war, support for police killings of unarmed people, the willingness to blame the poor for their predicament are all expressions supporting destruction. 
if the, philosoph- if the philosophical tenets of capitalism supports destruction, does this mean we may have internalized destructive values manifest themselves as apathy? If so, we need institutions to combat such values. Because if, in fact, we internalize these kind of values that are deemed destructive, then we do nothing in terms of our self-empowerment, and that's crucial. And particularly, we started talking about current context where uh, money continues flowing toward the, the 1% of the population at the expense of all others, which means that everybody else's existence becomes esoteric. So we've got some problems. So we need institutions to fundamentally you know, get us to, to really address the kind of value system that we hold and those values that are antithetical to their own self-interest. So I encourage people to build institutions. All right, next we make a transition to Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome our Brother Anthony to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Fine, Brother Anthony. We now bring in Brother Moses. We welcome you, Brother Moses, to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, including the panelists. And uh, my name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And I feel I'm a legend, Brother Africa. Okay, next one, Brother Moses. We bring in Brother Jabari. We'd like to welcome Brother Jabari to Africa on the move. Okay, here's Brother Jabari. While I wait for Jabari, let's move forward to Brother Maurice. We'd like to welcome our Brother Maurice to Africa on the move. Brother Maurice. Revolutionary agreements, Brother Africa and, and fellow panelists and to all the listeners out, out there, uh, thank you for having me. My name is Brother Maurice. I'm an uh, organizer for the Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party and a supporter for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. Thank you for having me here tonight. Thank you, Brother Maurice. To Jabari. How you there, Brother Jabari? We seem to have some technical issues with Brother Jabari. When he comes back, we'll bring him in. But like always, we're going to continue down this road of liberation. We're going to deal with the first half of this program, deal with the segment of what's going on in our world community. And we'll start off with you, Brother Haki. What's going on in your world and the community? Well, two things. Uh, first, African awareness will be taking a trip to Cuba. This trip takes place July 24th, July 31st. Uh, and we encourage people to go to Cuba and see firsthand for themselves the kind of work that Cuba does in terms of its pro-humane approach in terms of systems. So the mere fact that Cuba has instituted institutions which are humane speaks values in terms of the ability of the people to actually work to work, work with one another, to get along with one another, uh, free of the kind of uh, petty antagonisms that plague you know, uh, American society. 
So clearly, uh, this relationship between institutions and, and people are very important. Cuba epitomizes that. So we encourage people to go firsthand and see for themselves to ask the critical questions of Cubans, you know, and get some good dialogue going, um, you know, um, and, and, and hope that you learn something that, you know, perhaps some of the stuff you can actually bring back to the community in terms of implementing. The Cubans are doing a very good job in terms of creating a very humane system. And perhaps that's the reason why it's such a threat to U.S., because anytime you talk about humanity, uh, those people in positions of power threat, uh, are very much uh, concerned about the p- p- potential of, uh, you know, people, you know, actually doing things like the guise of goodness. And in that context, I'm very much afraid that people may begin to work together in terms of over, you know, overturning this insanity, you know, that we call capitalism. So we encourage people to go to Cuba firsthand and see for themselves the beauty that is Cuba. Now, uh, for more information, give us a call at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at Afternoon Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. And my, in terms of community, uh, Brother Africa, one of the things, you know, I recently read an article by Peter Turchin. He's an evolution biologist at the University of Connecticut. He formulated a theory called cloud dynamics, uh, and this theory holds the pattern <laughs> pertaining to violence in history can be uh, predicted. For example, he talked about 1970, he had the Civil War, North and South. In the 1920, he talked about anti-communism, people fighting the street over this whole term in terms of what it is to be a communist in the context of American society. 1965, he talked about Vietnam War and the opposition to the war, yeah, those who were against the war and those who were for the war. So he says that this, this kind of, this kind of uh, violence is inevitable every 40 to 50 years in American society. So he brings up 2020, and it got me thinking in terms of, you know, what's going to happen in 2020. Now, his hypothesis is very, very interesting, you know, but one of the things that I, I, I sort of disagree with in terms of his hypothesis is that to the extent that, they can, that, that the ruling class can form in violence, to a large extent, depends upon the skill at demagoguery. And Orange Menace is not very good in terms of propaganda. He lacks sophistication. He does. He's very good in terms of propagandizing those who are, who are, who are semi-illiterate or illiterate or those who lack information, who are ill-informed. But in terms of in most people who are educated, uh, he, he's not very good in terms of formatting propaganda. So he would be the kind of person in terms of doing that. So in terms of his ability to whip up violence, is very, very minimal. Uh, secondly, I think also if, if, if the ruling class will be successful in terms of formatting violence in U.S. society, the media has to be consistent uh, in terms of its message. One of the things that comes to mind, Brother after currently, you know, you, you, you alluded to the coronavirus uh, that's currently sweeping, sweeping the world. It's very, very interesting uh, because one of the things that, um, uh, according to the World Health Organization, back in September of 2019, uh, there were several cases of coronavirus observed in the U.S., six cases to be precise, three cases in the U.K. and two cases in Canada. This far beyond what far beyond the emergence of quote-unquote coronavirus in, in China. So clearly, uh, this, this, the China is the epicenter of this crisis is, is, is clearly is, is just uh, uh, disingenuous. Uh, the second thing, also, I think we, people have to understand that when we talk about the coronavirus, essentially what we're talking about, according to virologists, we're talking about five different strings. And here's the thing that people have, have to understand that of all the countries in the world, only the U.S. has five strains of coronavirus. Ukraine has access to U.S. laboratories in terms of the five strains. But the other countries like China, Taiwan, South Korea, Thailand, Vietnam, Singapore, U.K., Belgium, Germany, only have access to one strain of coronavirus. 
So there were some scientists in Japan and uh, Taiwan who did research who found out that uh, the origin of this, this virus couldn't have been in China because they, 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 they pointed out in terms of, when we look at in terms of specifics of, of these viruses, in order for them to exist, they have to, they have to, they need one another to exist. So you can't have one virus without another virus. So one virus, you get another virus, and that's how it works. And so they demonstrated just by that process alone that it was impossible for it to originate in China simply because there's no origin of it being found in China. So clearly there's geopolitical considerations in terms of coronavirus, and it's all about deceiving people. But I'm, I'm amazed by the Africa, the, 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 the willingness in terms of the balance inflicted upon the citizens, inflicting violence upon one another. You have situations where people are attacking people who are Asian under the guise that they have coronavirus. You have people fighting people simply because they sneeze or cough under the guise that they're spreading coronavirus. So if they got that, so if the ruling class has that kind of power to manipulate people's emotions, then I'm very much concerned that if people don't understand the nature of the beast in terms of politics around coronavirus or any other virus for that matter, then I'm very much afraid that um, the group is very successful in terms of compete, pitting one group against another. So that's my concern. So I encourage people definitely, you know, to find out more about coronavirus and understand the politics behind it. Uh, Brother Hackey, hopefully as we go through the program, we will share some perspectives and information on that where people will get a better understanding. Um, so next, let's go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Move. What's going on in your world and the community? Okay, uh, several things about Africa. To start off with, uh, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and the National Council of Arab Americans are organizing African Liberation Day and not by Palestine Day 2020 under the theme, Not Yet Uhuru, Not Yet Freedom, Not Yet Liberation, in combat with women's oppression, neocolonialism, Zionism, and settler colonialism worldwide. This commemoration will take place on May 23rd in Washington, D.C., in Lafayette Park, across the street from the White House, from 12 noon to 6 p.m. Uh, for more information, please contact us at 202-246-4896 or visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Also, uh, let's see. Um, uh, let's see the, uh, the the recent fluctuations in the stock market are the result of uh, of an economic crisis in capitalism, which uh, which occurs on a periodic basis. Uh, you know, on an average of about four to seven years. Uh, let's see if you if you analyze the history of capitalism, uh, which has been around for about three hundred or so years, about every uh, about every uh, approximately every ten years or so, there's a major economic crisis, depression, recession, whatever label they want to give it to soothe the economists. But there's a crisis in capitalism that takes place on a periodic basis. And uh, would have occurred even even without uh, even without the uh, the coronavirus situation pushing it over the edge. 
Uh, it also is also a result of uh, Saudi Arabia uh, a, a flooding of the petroleum market in order to suppress prices of petroleum, which therefore makes uh, fracking uh, uh, economically unfeasible. Okay, thank you, Brother Afton. Father Brother Afton, we now will bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your community and the world? Well, I think, you know, obviously the coronavirus is uh, number one on the chart these days. Uh, um, there was an article in the Washington Post this morning by Carol and Johnson and William Wan are talking about how Trump tears up CDC's playbook on health crises. Um, the Center for Disease Control back in uh, 2001, after the anthrax attacks, uh, they put out this 450-page um, manual outlining how U.S. leaders should talk to the public during crises. And uh, Trump obviously did not read it and uh, and uh, and he's break every rule that they um, put down. Uh, he's lying to the public and 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 um, trying to give them a false sense of security. And also, there's uh, there was a a pandemic office. The White House had a pandemic office, and um, Trump dismissed it. He he uh, he denied doing the doing it, but. Uh, he, he said he didn't do it, and I don't know. So saying I didn't do it, uh, and uh, uh, he didn't know anything about it. But he uh, he obviously, I mean, has, uh, dismissed the pandemic office and uh, put everything under under his control via Vice President Pence, and so everything is being cleared by him. And he instead of with a professional scientist. Um, being given full reign, um, he's overseeing and um, uh, censoring the the scientists. And he's always had a hostile attitude towards science anyway, from environmentalism to whatever, um, not to mention scientific socialism. But he, he um, he's just an anti-scientist. He's, he's a capitalist, and uh, he's, he's, hopefully he won't, uh, destroy the country. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Thank you, Transition Energy, Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, what's going on in your world and the community? Thank you. Uh, a lot of things, a lot of things going on in the, in the African world, but uh, a couple of things that I will um, speak, speak to tonight is we're, we're having, we're still going to have the uh, second annual Kwame and Kuma conference going to be now uh, tentative for June 6th. Uh, June 6th, we are still working on a location, and we are still working out uh, everything in, in regards to what's going on with the coronavirus. But um, more specifically, in Africa, we have another outbreak that's taking place, and it's called, called the locust outbreak. Um, the locust outbreak is affecting countries in Kenya, Ethiopia, uh, Somalia, just to name a few. Uh, locust, uh, uh, locusts are destroying crops and threatening tens of millions of Africans uh, 
um, living there. Locust swarms can blanket 460 square miles at a time and consume more than 400 million uh, pounds of vegetation daily. So this is a, um, a, 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 in addition to the coronavirus, this is uh, kind of going on in Africa as well. And also uh, what's going on in the African world is we have about close to 50 uh, South African women uh, being forcibly sterilized after giving birth. Uh, this article uh, stated that the Commission for Gender Equality found at least 48 women were forcibly sterilized while seeking pregnancy-related health care. Okay? It said in some instances, um, uh, complainants were given the forms, given forms while they were in extreme labor pain and were told that they would not receive medical assistance until they had signed the form. The sterilizations happened at 15 local hospitals, and some of, some of them are located in urban centers like Durban and Johannesburg. HIV-positive mothers were the main targets for overzealous medical professionals. So this is what, what's going on. And also it says that uh, South, South Africa has more than 7 million residents living with HIV-AIDS, the largest epidemic in the world, which, um, like we spoke about on this show before and tonight, AIDS is another uh, man-made creation, um, weaponized uh, creation to kill off the masses of Africans living in South Africa. So this is highly related to, um, to the, you know, all this stuff is interconnected with the coronavirus, and uh, those are two topics that, that are going apparently going on in the African world tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Barrys. We have Brother Jabari. If so, hit number one, Jabari, and we'll come to you. Hit number one if you're back. So, panelists, what we're going to do right now, we will continue the discussion uh what's going on in our community and the world. When we come back from our station break, we're going to pause for this cause. We will continue the discussion, and we will talk a little bit more about this coronavirus and and what the people think about it. But right now, we're going to pause for the cause, and we'll be right back. For our listening audience, again, we invite you to call in at 323-679-0844. We'll be right back. You gotta listen to Africa on the move.
Uh, I'm confident, you know, as, as, as time goes on, increasingly, you know, more and more people, you know, by virtue of, you know, exposure to the lies, will begin to begin to peak uh, the inconsistencies in terms of the lies they, 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 that, are, that, are, that are permeated, you know, in society. Uh, one of the things, Brother Africa, I think that, you know, um, you know, one of the things I think, particularly as African people, I think one of the things we have to, you know, we have to dispel, we have to dispel this notion that, in fact, what it is to be a person it somehow is, is wrapped up in terms of material possession. I think as long as we hold that viewpoint, then I think we're more susceptible to manipulation. And with susceptible to manipulation, of course, it, it compromises our ability in terms of being truly self-empowering, to truly be autonomous, to be truly free. And the, so the irony is that if we don't create a way to be self-empowered or autonomous, then there's no way in terms of being shown that our children grow up to be the best he or she can be. Uh, because they too are privy to the same propagandized uh, rhetoric uh, that the rest of us are privy to, and so therefore we don't create institutions to sort of um, um, uh, block that kind of that kind of propaganda. Then, when our kids do things that are destructive, then we have to understand that, to a large extent, it's our fault because we have to innovate institutions uh, that block our kids uh, from being, you know, uh, uh, propagandized in such a way that uh, that. Being negative is just par for the course. So therefore, it's, it's come upon us, you know, as, as a people to understand the nature of the beast. But first and foremost, you have to understand that propaganda does exist and it does have a deleterious impact on the way we think. And Brother Anthony, you talk about similar to a method of how capitalism has a tendency to reinvent itself every ten years as it go to structural adjustments as it relates to economic crisis. Based upon your understanding in terms of looking at this, this historical economic crisis that, crisis that may take place every 10 years or so, how is it possible for them to continue to reinvent themselves without people catching on to understanding that this is the nature of the structure of the economic system itself, and therefore this is one reason why it must be changed? and be uh, um, um, replaced with a better alternative, with a better system? Well, uh, inside the U.S., for nearly 75 years, it has been taboo to talk about socialism. And uh, one of the, the recent developments as a result of uh, the most recent, uh, uh, the last economic crisis back in 2008-2009, is that people started looking at alternatives to capitalism because of the devastating impact that it had on people, uh, on, on people's, uh, you know, ability, you know, to uh, support themselves and their families to find employment even though they invested years and lots of money in terms of getting, uh, uh, you know, uh, bachelor's or or advanced degrees and still were not able to find employment and also to maintain themselves as, uh, as fully functioning human beings. So and and uh, you know that may be the uh, uh, the positive that that has come out of um, you know the Sanders campaign is that it has become a, uh, you know 
acceptable to to, uh, to have a dialogue, uh, you know, around socialism. Again, even though they have been revolutionaries that have been talking about it for decades. And uh, let's see. And uh, and I think uh, the, the 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 ruling classes control over the media and educational system have kept people, uh, you know, duped. And uh, and uh, you know, uh, spread confusion and make it hard for people to see the forest for the uh, 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 you know for the trees so to speak, in terms of uh, the economy. And, uh, and, uh, and this, this control over the educational system and, uh, and the media is how, uh, you, know, uh, you know, information has been kept uh, from, uh, from the masses of people and why it's important, uh, as we discussed last week, that uh that we form our own independent political organizations to take control of the education of our youth especially and uh, you know and uh and uh let's see and to teach the truth about our history uh so that people can see this cycle of economic crisis that is so characteristic of capitalism And Brother Moses, and, yes, Brother Jabari. And I want to just respond to Brother Anthony's point in regards to um, the crisis in these market fluctuations. One thing that was done recently was there was an announcement that $1.5 trillion is going to be pumped into the banks because they don't want to create a um, market imbalance. Now, anytime you have those kind of resources to do that, there shouldn't be no question of why we have these social inequalities that we see from year to year or these other um, various conditions that affect the masses of the people. If you can just do this overnight, all of a sudden make a decision like this. And the question that remains, in terms of when you make a decision like this, who's going to that money really going to? Because it's not going to the best interest of the people. It's not going to do societal good. Well, another way, another way of, of putting it, Brother Jabari, when you talk about the feds pumping, you know, one point five trillion into the system, the sole pump, the sole purpose of doing it is to elevate the value of stocks. And so what they're doing is that they're making loans available to the banks. And so the banks therefore lend the money at a certain interest rate. They in turn get that money back and so it makes the the the, the, the makes it appear stocks, the value of stocks has actually risen, which is to entice the ten percent of the population who actually engage in stock transact transactions to buy those stocks. And so what we got to understand is that by creating the money supply, whatever what you do is just you 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 hasten you pick up the speed in which you have a collapse in terms in terms of assets. When you talk about you know uh, when you talk about prop when you talk about properties, uh, you talk about rents, you talk about uh, mortgages. When you talk about uh, the cost of a car, when you, when you talk about um, in terms of even things like in terms of on the bond market, in terms of the prices of the price of bonds, all that stuff. See, by doing that, they have an impact on all of those, all of those, those instruments, and so we have to understand that, as you're absolutely correct, that none of this is geared toward in terms of getting, making sure money gets into the real economy. See, the real economy is people who need jobs, people who need affordable housing, people who need quality education. That's the real economy. This is not designed for the real economy. It's designed to make the stocks look uh, desirable. 
And in doing so, all they're doing is inflating, uh, or actually deflate the value of money, because the more you do engage in that kind of what, what, what they may call, uh, they don't call it qualitative easing, because they, they backed away from that. But anytime you, 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 you pump that kind of money into the system, then all you're doing is devaluing, devaluing the, the value of that money, which ultimately leads to, uh, ultimately leads to, to, the, to, the, to the downfall of, of that economic system. But, of course, it's all about the money. It's not about the impact of it all. Because, you know, as long as the people, the mass of people in America don't understand what they're doing in their name, they don't understand that when they make these maneuvers that what they're doing is tantamount to, to the destruction of large, large 90% of the population in America. But 90% of the population in America don't understand the implications in terms of that kind of massive infusion of funds you know, into the system. But your point is well taken. Anyone like to respond? Um, if not, Brother Moses, you made a reference to characterizing this president as an anti-science. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on what's the impact of having an in- individual in that position who is very anti-science? How does that impact the overall functioning of an economy and how does it impact various communities that are dependent upon how that particular economy may function as an anti-science? Well, obviously, you know, the the the, the clear and glaring impact is his denial of, of climate change, which is, you know, the whole world is being being devastated by climate change and, and uh, weather-related stuff. And He's in denial, which means we're not working on solutions at all. We're nowhere, we're not even in the ballpark. Uh, he's he's determined to support fracking and coal the coal industry, and he's determined he's going to just do whatever he feels like. He he you know the um, the epidemic started uh, in terms of this. Corvette 19, and uh, he's saying stuff like he's got a hunch this and he's got a hunch. I mean, when the scientists are laying out the facts, and uh, he's just, he's just, you know, not to mention scientific socialism, I mean, he, he's nowhere, he would never uh, uh, admit to uh, a need for uh, a social order where the working class is in control. He would never submit to that. So he's his his whole his whole world view is one of individualism and uh, narcissism. Uh, I was thinking what we need is we need a leadership that has compassion and al- altruism. Uh, those two qualities we need we need a leadership, and he's nowhere near that. Thank you. There's a more there's a more practical there's a more there's a more practical aspect too, Brother Africa, and that is that, in particular, when you talk about the coronavirus, the whole idea, the whole motivation behind the U.S. you know instilling coronavirus in, in, in China, the whole point was to undermine China economy. Now, if you understood anything about economics, then you know that was a foolish move. But of course, we understand that uh, xenophobia rules the day, and so therefore, those people in positions of power, the ruling elite in America, don't necessarily think, uh, but they merely react. And uh, of course, the racism makes that make that all the more more that that act, those actions all the more plausible. But the thing that we have to understand, though, when we talk about China, we talk about 1.4 billion people. 
China has such a population where it doesn't need exterior demand in terms of being viable. Uh, China can internally, China has enough of a population to sustain itself. It doesn't need an outside world. And so all they may contribute to doing is to making China, China look more inward in terms of innovating, uh, 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 building, you know, its, its internal sector in terms of in terms of trade and, and that kind of things. So it's interesting that you know uh, when this when this coronavirus first started, it did have a it had a negative impact on China's uh, uh, bottom line. But since then, China has recovered. Uh, now China's at 80 percent efficiency, which means that this attempt in terms of undermining uh, China's economy has failed. But you know who really, who, who's really paying the price as a result of U.S. Uh, uh, strategy in terms of implementing bioweaponry, you know, bio, uh, into, into China? It's Americans, it's American people. The American people are the ones who are paying the price. We're the ones who are unemployed, who are losing our jobs. Uh, we're the ones, you know, who are missing out on education because the schools are closed. We're the ones who don't have access to, 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 to medical care because the federal government refuses to authorize, you know, pits you know, dealing specifically with coronavirus. So clearly the losers in all of this is, is the American people. But at some point, you know, the American people have to realize, you know, that, we're being, that, we, that we're getting short in the stick. So at some point we have to realize that we have to work together in terms of overcoming this, 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 this paradigm and to seek to implement a new paradigm which says that, you know, human, the, 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 the rights of human beings uh, are more important uh, than the rights of a fall, small number of individuals to control and rule everything. And brother Maurice, you made your brother Africa. Yes, brother Maurice. It's okay if I respond to brother Moses' point about this being an anti-science administration. Of course, of course, the Mike Hughes. You know, I was reading an article, and it was talking about the conclusion of the Predict program, and this was a program that, under the two previous presidential administrations was able to um, keep tabs on those particular illnesses that could reach the level of a pandemic. And that's quite interesting. This is in 2019, and under the administration we have, it was canceled. And this was in October of 2019. So I'm giving everything that's going on in terms of illnesses popping up at a rapid rate. Why would any administration even think that was a wise idea to even cancel anything that can kind of even present information that would be beneficial in terms of keeping tabs on what exactly is going on. Because it seems it's very interesting that, and you're talking about anti-science, it's not about being um, proactive, but it's about being reactive because that's where the money is because everything gets escalated. Because there are even questions in regards to how people would have to pay for these so-called corona tests and the question of what would happen to those who aren't insured. So it's very interesting that in terms of this anti-science stance, it's very reactionary, and it's amazing in terms of how it um, will impact the people's pockets, unfortunately, because profit would be the motive. Well, I mean, Brother Jabari, well, I mean, Brother Maurice, you have raised the issue about African women in Zambia, South Africa, being put in a compromised position or to read services as suspense of no longer being able to have future childbearing. You also talk about just the demographical understanding. you got looking at several million Africans inside of that area. We have been identified as being AIDS. All of these, again, we're talking about different kind of ways to maybe undermine not only the economy, but to undermine a 
a, a group of people who is trying to develop and be self-sufficient and independent, what do you make of, of, of those dynamics that you just talked about in relationship to what you're seeing going on inside the U.S. and other African people around the world? Uh, well, uh, well, basically, um, it's obvious, man, that, uh, you know, that's, 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 this is what they're doing. Nothing, you know, they're shopping up their oppression amongst us. Man. And to, to dive more into the article, um, that I, a couple of points that I left out, um, basically one of the women uh, included in the report is not HIV positive. Um, she had a daughter uh she had a daughter by having a C-section, and her uterus was removed during the procedure. When she woke up with a large bandage across her abdomen, um, she assumed it was part of the procedure, you know. But she didn't find out that she didn't find out she had been sterilized until she attempted to conceive another 11 years later. In connection to, and this all is related to uh, connected to what's going on with Bill Gates. Bill Gates has put a lot of money into Africa into not only um as he as the the, the cold word cold word is is investing in Africa right investing into the financial future of Africa like he's coming as again as a damn uh, missionary he's not coming I mean you can say that he's coming as a missionary but what missionaries colonizing Africa they participate in in uh in, in um mass murder murdering Africans on the continent so that's what Bill Bill Gates is doing and it, it is no secret that he wants to populate. Africa, you know, they want to, that's why you have all this. You have stuff going on in Mali. I mean, even when it comes to, we talk about education, right? Even even when it comes to the education realm, let's look at it. When you look at libraries in Africa, in Ghana, you only have 68 public libraries, and and and, and you don't have no national library, and you and you talking about all these only 68 libraries for a population of 29 million people. Come on, man. And then when you look at Nigeria, the numbers goes on and on. 290 public libraries for 201 million people. And when you look at France and Germany, the, the European nations, you have 16,300 public libraries in France for 67 million citizens. In Germany, you have 7,042 public libraries that serves 80, 84 million residents. So, so as, as Malcolm X says, the ticket, I come home to roost, brothers, in Italy. Italy need a burn. They need to shut down the whole goddamn country. They need a stuff. Uh, uh, Belgium, all the European nations, all, all these people, um, the hell with them. Because they're coming in and they're killing all of our people. You have these, not only with the sisters in, in Africa who, who forcibly being sterilized, eugenic, Charles Darwin, the list goes on and on and on and it's continuing going on. And I say this, and I ask you this. Uh, like like the song said, what the song say? You can fool the people. Um, what is how they, I'm about to I'm about to mess the lyric. You can fool the people. Uh, summer summertime, but you can't fool all the people, all the time. You can't, you can't. You got singer or 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 uh, rapper Cardi B. She's talking about she want to move to Nigeria. Uh, um, she want to move to Nigeria. She want to due to the airstrike. Which killed the uh, Iranian command, uh, Iranian commander Soleimani. He said that uh, that's the dumbest move Trump did. Now this is this is Cardi B. If you hear her music, you would be like, how she? Hey, is she she's trying to be she's trying to become um, political educated. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you listen to the to the lyrics of her music, the um, immature lyrics of her music, 
but you have that going on. And on the flip side of that, you have about there's an article came out. Uh, it was it's an article report, an annual report came out by the United States Attitude Towards Socialism, Communism, and Collectivism. It was released last October. And it's stated that uh, the data show that 64% of the generation born between the mid-1990s and early to mid-2010s and 70% of uh, millennials uh, say they're likely to vote for a socialist. Um, 15% of millennials think the world would be better off if the Soviet Union still existed. 20% think the uh, Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx better guarantees freedom and equality in the Declaration of Independence. 22% think society would be better if all private property was abolished. Okay? And last but not least, 35% view Marxism favorably. So you can't fool the people all the time. People are, are waking up. Um, the younger generation, anyhow, is waking up. We are, we are more attainable. It's more easy to get uh, this information, to learn it this information platform. We have platforms like Apps on the Move um, is on, you know, uh, on, on this platform, blog top platform. You can get this information. We have to to learn. I mean, this is what we're dealing with. People. I mean, you're panicking about corona, the coronavirus, you got to be mindful of of, uh, of your survival still. Ain't nothing changed. Racism still going on, baby. Uh, imperialism still going on. This is what it is. It's no, it's no, it's not a, it's not a coincidence not to be long with it, but it's not a coincidence that Mike Pompeo, you got the Secretary of State Mike Mike Pompeo stated that China, Iran, Venezuela, and Cuba are dark places. There are the four uh, targets, four uh, uh, targets that America want to zoom in on. And why is that? I conclude. Can I add something one? to that? Uh, yes, Brother Anthony. Mike is yours. Sure. Um, I read an article uh, that uh, a friend of mine shared with me over the internet that uh, that the United States is uh, blocking Venezuela from getting, uh, you know, the medicines it needs to deal with uh, the coronavirus. So uh, you know, so you, so you, so even even with this, uh, you know, uh, you know, pandemic going on. Uh, there's still uh, geopolitical games being played, and um, and uh, I want to add also that uh, that uh, let's see the um, coronavirus, which is something that people don't know, is a genetic uh, is a genetically engineered bioweapon, and uh, one of the organizations involved in developing it was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, several years ago, according to an observation made by uh, uh, Dr. Aleem Muhammad, and uh, you know, so uh, you know, so that uh, y- y- you know, uh, uh, this is not this is not a natural occurrence, as some people are being made to believe. And uh, the extent of it in the U.S. is not known yet because the U.S. lags behind other countries in terms of uh, testing people for the virus. But, but, you, know, brother, but you know, Brother Anthony, the, the extent of the, of, of the damage, epidemiologists 
epidemiologists in the U.S., they're talking about um, the possibility of 480,000 people dying. So they talk about 92 million being infected in the United States. 92 million, that's like one in three, if my math is correct. Uh, so clearly, uh, you know, they understand the impact of impact of what they're doing. Uh, and it's going to be interesting in terms of how this plays itself out. Of course, they had anticipated on larger casualties in China, but it didn't work uh, because China was clever enough to, to, to work with Cubans, and Cubans provided the uh, interferon, um, was it interferon, um, what is that, what is that, what is that uh, let me see. I forget it's the full name of it. Interferon Alpha 2B. Uh, right. which, which is very good in terms of uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, impacting or affecting uh, uh, you know um, viral infections. Very good in terms of attacking viral infections. So as a result of that, uh, China infection rate was like three percent. Now in China infection rate is something like point seven tenths of one percent, and quickly uh, heading to zero. So clearly they had anticipated a larger casualties in China, but uh, it didn't happen. So we can wait and see exactly what the fallout is going to be in America in terms of the number of deaths. That, that, that happened. But my guess is that <coughs> they're not going to talk about it. That's my guess. People are going to die, but nobody's going to say anything about it. The media's not going to talk about it. They're going to pretend it doesn't exist. Unless people on social media get on the social media and talk about these deaths, we won't have any clue in terms of the actual number of people who are actually dying as a result of coronavirus. So clearly, in terms of understanding the impact of uh, these vicious people, uh, they, 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 I mean, they're very calculating. I got to give them that. I mean, so when they do these. You know, uh, malevolent, malevolent kinds of things. Uh, they understand, you know, uh, that the that the impact that they seek is a destructive one. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Now, yeah. interesting, you bring up the uh, interferon to uh, be, uh, brother Haki. Uh, I read that uh, that Cuba is not able to market it internationally because of the blockade. Uh, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, you know, imposed by the U.S. So, uh, so that, uh, so that particular chemical is not available on the world market, which could help a lot of people. But, but doesn't that speak volumes in terms of the opposition that the elite in America have toward human life? I mean, here you have the interferon alpha two B. You have this medication, this vaccine. You know, that exists in the world in which you can utilize to save lives, and they don't they prevent them from distributing it, marketing around the world. So does that speak values in terms of the kind of um, indifference toward human life? I think that's the crux of the matter. I think one of the things we have to begin to understand, or at least begin to deal with, is that this society is very much anti-humane. Uh, it's anti-human. It's, it's beyond anti-humane. It's anti-human. And, and until we understand clearly what the, all the implications of that, then we pretty much go along with it simply under the guise that to go along with it is the, is the, is the, the correct thing to do. In fact, you know, nothing could be more anti-humane than allowing people to needlessly die for no reason other than, other than, than a small group of people who have a desire for, for total control and total power. So clearly, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right, Brother Anthony. They, um, they're preventing it from being marketed around the world, and it speaks volumes in terms of the kind of uh, indifference to human life. And, uh, you know, that is capitalism in a nutshell. The difference in human life is pretty much inherent in a in, in capitalist system. So that's just the way it is. And not only are they preventing from being marketing around the world, I'm quite sure they are stealing the, Cuba, the Cuban scientific discoveries and recreating it under another name, and they are mocking it to make money off it, just giving their hostile mm-hmm. attitude 
the behavior they have towards uh, Cuba and Cuban people. I'm quite sure that is taking place in the international arena from Jim Madison. Yes, Brother Jabari. I'd like to respond to um, a point that Brother Maurice had raised. Brother Maurice, before he was saying, he was alluding to how we can be agents in our own oppression. And it's amazing as you get bombarded with all these trivial headlines. They don't talk about things you need to know. Like something that I recently came across is that General Charles Q. Brown, Jr. has been nominated to be the next Air Force Chief of Staff. And this brother is an African that was educated at Texas Tech and has had a long Air Force career. And the if the orange man has his way, he will be the second person of color to join the Chiefs of Staff after Colin Powell. Now, it's very interesting, given all these things we talked about what's going on, they still will find these persons that they're going to use to make sure um, to do things that will be counterproductive in our best interest. So if you make this person over the Air Force, what is the end game? What does that mean for you talk about places where there are black and brown bodies? What is he going to be capable of? With the technology that's at his disposal if this General Charles Brown is appointed to be over the Air Force. To Bobby, in that dynamic, haven't we just recently saw that story before? The election of a so-called first-time African president and using him in the same context that you are describing? Indeed, it was not that long ago. Indeed, it was the same narrative. And the contradiction is we didn't see the game the first time, so they run the game against us against us again. As Brother Celine often says, they can pay while we can play. But panelists, what we're going to do right now, we will continue the discussion. But when we come back, we will continue the discussion on the theme today, which is what they are not saying about the coronavirus. We will have the discussion, and we will invite our audience to call in. And share that views and comment when we come back. We're going to take a station break. And to Bobby, like that brother's been a Buffalo soldier, we'd like to dedicate this music to all of these conscious Africans to work hard toward making the rest of our African brothers and sisters conscious so they will not be a Buffalo soldier. But we'll be right back. This is Africa on the move. We're going to pause for this call. Thank you. 
become a buffalo soldier. Stop going around the world fighting walls for capitalism, for imperialism, for Zionism, for colonialism, neocolonialism. Stop fighting walls that are based upon exploitation of human beings. Don't be a buffalo soldier. Fight chess walls. Fight walls for the oppressed. Fight walls based upon doing the right thing and doing it the right way. So again, we'd like to welcome back to Africa on the Moon. Uh, today is the 15th of March, 2020. And right now we're going to continue our discussion, dealing with the sec- second segment of what they are not saying about coronavirus, what they are not saying about the coronavirus. You know, parents, there are so many things going on. And we'd like to at least give the people something to think about. We admit to the reality that we are not scientists, but based upon information and facts that we may have came about or have discovered, uh, there are certain common sense I think all human beings can put together to come up with some logical conclusion of things. Right now, there are so many things going on that are not making sense to me. I hope maybe we can share some light with the listening audience and the rest of the world on what is happening right now on this whole question of what has been said and told and been done as it relates to the so-called pandemic dealing with the coronavirus. So, panelists, we'd like to focus on that. But before we focus on that real quickly, I would like to make one point toward what Brother Maurice raised in reference to what is happening to the sisters in Tanzania, South Africa, as it relates to uh, being put in a position where they cannot have produced future, future um, generations. Um, you know, one of the things that have been going on in the United States, and I will project this probably going on all around the world, is that many people are not following what is taking place in women prisons as they deal with African women. You know, one of the things that's going on in these women prisons now is that they are telling these our sisters inside of these prisons that they have certain medical issues and conditions where they need to get, um, get their uterus taken out. And what happens is once they get out, they will no longer be able to um, um, produce, you know, future families. And that is something, I think, again, another issue we need to become aware about and take a look at. So I thought I'd just throw that out there to the listening audience and to the African community because, you know, this is something that you must take a lead in in terms of the various forms that they are genociding our people. So, Brother Maurice, the pattern that you just described is a continuation not only what they have done in the past, but what they are doing presently to our people throughout the world. So, panelists, let's get started with our theme today, what they are not saying about the coronavirus. Now, what we would like to do is give this discussion some kind of subtext in terms of that with some various um, documents and information that were put out earlier dealing with this issue. One was an interesting video. If you get a chance, check out a video by Dr. Salim Muhammad. He did the videos on coronavirus. And there was another interesting article that was written talk about, that was titled Hidden Agenda and Pandemics. Um, they raised some issues, I think, worthy of discussion, discussion and to share with the rest of the world. So, panelists, based on looking at those two particularly um, venues, articles, and that documentary, what were some of the things that you think 
is important for our people to be conscious of as they continue to present this narrative that there's a pandemic and the whole nature of whether or not, you know, you know, what is this virus and who are the major players behind doing it and why they are doing it. I'll start off with you first, Brother Anthony. You'll take looking at those two pieces, those two documents that I just mentioned, Dr. Celine video okay. and the hidden um, agenda dealing with the coronavirus is a pan- pandemic. Sure. Um, to start with, I think uh, I think uh, one important thing that people need to be aware of is that the coronavirus is not a naturally occurring virus. It, it, it was a genetically engineered virus created by human beings. And the target was a certain group of human beings, uh, a certain group, group of human beings, us, Africans, I think. Uh, and uh, let's see, and uh, what, uh, there was a, a pandemic about a hundred years ago, called the Spanish flu that uh, that killed about a hundred million people worldwide, and put an end to World War One. And uh, according to Doctor Muhammad, uh, this um, there was this Euro- uh, this European um, uh, scientist that. Um, that 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 dug up uh that dug up the bodies and uh of some of the victims in uh that were frozen in the in, in the ocean and um recovered uh some traces of this uh spanish virus and uh combined it with um because that loss is a fact because it had been frozen, uh he combined it with uh with with an HIV strain. And uh a couple of strains of HIV and that's how COVID nineteen was developed. And uh and uh some and some of the funding for that came from the uh Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, for uh, for for those who, who and we pointed out on this program several times in the past that Bill Gates is a eugenicist, and uh, you know he's been trying to uh, he's been uh, the last ten years or so trying to uh, impose uh, uh, vaccination programs on Africa, primarily. And uh, so, uh, so that's something that people should be aware of. And uh, and um, how it spread is, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, there's not a good handle on it inside the U.S. because uh, because of uh, you know everything in the U.S. is privatized, including the healthcare system. Uh, there, there are not adequate test kits available to test for this particular uh, uh, virus. So right now, how widespread it is is not known. 
the question, let me weigh in, let me, let me Brother Africa. Uh, the question in terms of a pandemic, let's let's go ahead and set, set, uh, set the record straight. Uh, one of the things we understand that when we talk about a pandemic, essentially we're talking about, according to the World Health Organization, we're talking about where 12% of the population is actually infected by the virus. The, the country that comes closest to 12% is Italy, and that's 6%. So there is no official pandemic. The whole label of pandemic was geared towards scaring people. That's why they call it a pandemic. It has nothing to do with a real pandemic. It has more to do with instilling fear in people. But in terms of the origin, you know, of this virus, I think it's important that people understand that, you know, uh, the, the origin is most people believe the origin goes back to September 2019. And there's some reasons why. Number one, there were two Japanese tourists that went to Hawaii and came back infected. This was in September. They never vi- visited uh, China. Uh, also, uh, remember earlier I talked about the fact that it was re- revealed back in September 2019 uh, cor- uh, cor- coronaviruses existed in, 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 in the U.S., U.K., and Canada. In the U.S., there were six cases of coronavirus. In the U.K., there were three cases. In Canada, there were two cases. And lastly, there was a situation in California where the young lady, um, uh, her, her relative died, and the doctor told her it was flu. When they got a death certificate, it stated coronavirus. That was in September. So, and, and it's consistent with what the uh, virologist out of the out of um, out of um, out of Taiwan is saying. He's saying that the origin began in September, and it's based upon his research in China in terms of going around to the market site in terms of where the, where the fish and the and the foods were sold in the marketplace of Wuhan, and to establish a timeline in terms of the spread of this virus. Now, one of the things when, when Brother Anthony talked about the fact that you know this is this is man-made, it's important that people understand. When virologists talk about haplotypes, they're talking about they're talking about the origin of these viruses. In other words, you cannot have coronavirus without the genome HIV, the genome uh, uh, the genome SARS, the genome MERS. Uh, you can't have them without those, or even Ebola, or even AIDS. Without those genomes, without those viruses, there's nothing to build upon. So these viruses don't come from nowhere; they come from something. And this is what people understand. So when they try to get you to believe that these things just happen, uh, it doesn't work that way. And so what the virologist is saying is that based upon haplotypes, he was able to, to, to discern, you know, you know, where the virus come from. And he's very clear that the viruses came from the United States. And that was corroborated by Japanese scientists who said the virus comes from the United States. So clearly, you know, the world is aware that the viruses come from the United States. The question is, what is the world going to do, knowing the U.S. has a history of doing this kind of thing? If the world doesn't stand up, you know, for, the, for, for humanity, then I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, clearly, it would be nice if the masses of people in America stood up for that which is right. Uh, uh, but the reality is that un, un, until we um, get rid of a lot of this, this, this antiquated thinking in terms of what it is to be an American, I think we're more apt to go along, you know, you know just to be perceived as, you know, quote-unquote, good Americans. So I think that is a very, very deadly thing to do. But I think, nonetheless, I think to a large extent, it guides people's thinking. So in that sense... In terms of confronting the reality, in terms of uh, uh, you know uh, biological warfare uh, being implemented by the United States, uh, it's important that we understand you know that when we when we talk about these viruses, that we understand that it has a, a it has a material base based upon being manufactured in laboratories. So we have to understand that clearly. And one other thing I have to reiterate, because I think people have to understand this. Earlier, I talked about the fact that well, there were five strains of coronavirus in the world. Five strains of coronavirus in the world. Now, five strains. Only one country have all five strains. That's the United States of America. The only country that has access to the coronavirus strains are uh, the Ukraine officials. 
they got some a bio wall, bio wall labs which they have access to in terms of you know barring you know, those viruses. But they're the only ones that have access to all viruses. So we have a situation where uh, with the viruses that impact people in Taiwan are not the same virus that impact people in Iran or even Italy. Uh, so we so the the, the the viruses that impact people and uh, the United States, the coronavirus impact people in the United States is not the same co- co- uh, uh, coronavirus that impacts people in Iran or Italy for that matter. So clearly, you know, we you, you see these various strains in terms of coronavirus, but it's important that we do understand that this is manufactured. This is not some isolated incident. These things came from something. And, of course, the implication is that, you know, they want to rid the world of, of, of large numbers of people. And they stop at, no, at, at nothing in terms of achieving that. In, in 10 years alone, in the last 10 years, they have five different pandemics. Five. Unbelievable. So the, this is just propensity in terms of the, you know, ridding the world of undesirables is very much part of the thinking of the ruling class, and they're committed to it. And they, by any means, this, that's what they're going to do. So clearly, uh, people got to understand, you know, that this, this 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 war being waged against them is real, and that you got to pick a side in terms of what you're going to do. Because the reality is that at some point, you become a you become a uh, casualty, you know, to this war. Brother Bobby, your take on what you got from these documents? Something you think I'm missing? All I need to know about how they went, brother. Hold on, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Further what Brother Haki was saying, one thing we have to look at is the um, policy implications as well. Because one of the major implications was there has been a travel ban which has been instituted, um, which restricts how people can find ways to um, positively deal with all of the hysteria that's going around. Then you have to look at the whole propaganda campaign, too, because every day the media is giving some type of false information or pumping up the hype regarding this incident. And also you got to understand that this is grounds for possibly entering into a situation where we have martial law. Now, we know there's a major election on the horizon, and if they do put, um, push the button to enact that, the thing you got to understand is that they could come up with a number of dubious policies that will make it that much easier for this orange man to um, stay in the White House because of the kind of things that can become law overnight because martial law means that it's at the hand of the president or whomever he designates to make the key decision. We know being the person that he is, he's not going to delegate anybody else. He would love to have that kind of authority to create all the, a number of policies that um, were going to affect while we we're sleeping and would have long-term ramifications. So I think I understand there's power in terms of the worries and decisions that are being made. But we need to pay very close attention because things can be done overnight before we even know it. That's history, Brother Bobby, and Brother Maurice, what you took from these two documents. Well, I say, I say this again, the fight has been fixed. Um, and I read a brief comment from a conservative journalist, Victor Davis Hanson. He stated, try this thought experiment. Envision the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19, as a living, breathing enemy which, of course, is exactly what it is. She said, but imagine for a moment that we are in a real war with a cognizant thinking and clever enemy whose sole reason to live is to hurt, maim, or kill as many of us as, as it can. COVID-19 might not have jets, tanks, or nukes like our past enemies, but 
his arsenal numbers, cunning, and willpower are said to be uh, formidable. To win its war against Americans, COVID-19 must infect and sicken lots of Americans each day. Okay, this is this is a conservative. So basically, he's calling this a war. And to, and to also to add to this, uh, the head of Iran's civil defense organization, uh, Brigadier General Delon uh, Reza Delali, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he stated that the virus is a biological attack attack on China and Iran. And just to echo what I stated earlier, what uh, what, uh, what uh, the United States Secretary of State Mike Pompeo stated, he stated the four main enemies are China, Iran, Venezuela, and Cuba. And right now, it's not it's not a, coinc- a coincidence that America are pulling back AFRICOM AFRICOM command forces out of Africa to focus more on on Asian countries, on Vietnam and China and so forth. It's, it's not a coincidence that you got American ships outside of Vietnam right now, um, the, the home of the great Ho Chi Minh. It's not a coincidence that you have, uh, 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 you know, you got, uh, you got a massive burial uh, ground or burial pit um, in Iran right now, in Iran. And, and basically, um, a nation of about 80 million people has suffered a particular deadly surge of coronavirus infection, including among its top leadership, Iran's health ministry says that uh, 429 people have died of the virus. So you got top leaders in Iran being, 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 uh, been murdered by this uh, biological weapon. We can't, man. Look, man. They don't play. It's the same. It's the same. A Humpty Hump, Humpty Hump by the group Digital Underground, with Tupac Shakur came out of. They had they had a, a song saying all around the world it's the same song. Basically, man, this, we we should not be shocked about this. This is a this, we are under the system who who uh, enslaved Africans, kidnapped us from our homeland, brought us to the United States. Um, this is this is a this is the country America, who who basically raped Henrietta Lack of her sales, African sister right here in Virginia. Do your research. They went in a, a, a you know this is not this is nothing new. They've been doing this on Africans since we've been here. Biological warfare. War, uh, war there was an article about George Washington using his dentures. They, for years they said it was uh, his teeth was made out of wood, and that was false. His teeth. Was made was plucked from African uh, uh, African slaves. That's 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 the, that's the sense of biological warfare. They've been using us. Um, they've been it's nothing new. The Tuskegee Air Experiment. This is nothing new. Eugenics. We talk about eugenics. It's like this, this is nothing new. We got to wake up and uh, smell the coffee, if you will. Smell the cocoa that they stole out of Ghana, out of Africa. South Africa, let me weigh in one thing. I think I, I, I just want to sort of reiterate because I think it's important because people out there listening probably think that are these, are these guys paranoid or what. But let me just read out some history in terms of a particular article. Uh, one of the things, we talk about depopulation, we got to go way back. Uh, you remember Henry Kissinger, the former Secretary of State, a strong advocate of depopulation. Um, the question is why depopulation? Well, in order for the West, the elite of the West, to, to enjoy the benefits of the of the world, the less people on the planet, the more benefits accrue to the uh, to the that small percentage of people in the world. And I think the thing we have to keep in mind that when we talk about uh, in terms of who really benefits from the resources of the world, the the global South do not benefit from the resources of the world. It's the global North that benefits. And so when you talk about a scarcity, it only exists in the minds of people. And to the extent that scarcity exists, it's created by the economic system that ensures scarcity exists. 
So until you change fundamentally how things get financed, fundamentally how, 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 how agriculture is practiced, uh, until you do that, then you continue to have scarcities. And the people in positions of power understand that, but there's no discussion in terms of those things because the whole thing is that it's more important for them to ensure that the corporate America uh, rules agriculture. And, of course, their thing is not about ensuring people have food to eat. Their thing is about profitability. And so in that sense, they create a scarcity. So we had to understand that. Zygmunt Brzezinski, the former defense, defense secretary, I remember Zygmunt Brzezinski, he's another advocate of depopulation. Why? Same reasons as uh, Kissinger. Of course, we know Bill Gates is a strong advocate of uh, depopulation. But it goes deeper than that, Brother Africa. We go back to the project for the New American Century. What did they advocate? Population. Wow, it's a consistent theme. Then we have Agenda 21. What are they talking about? Depopulation. Now, we, finally, we come, currently we come to ID 2020. And this is something that the World, Health, I'm sorry, the World Economic Forum talked about, uh, ID 2020. That's the agenda to, to eliminate a large number of people from the planet. It's interesting. This desire, uh, this zeal toward eliminating a large number of people on the planet, it's, it's not a joke. It's not paranoia. This is real. And people have to understand that. So if you don't resist you, uh, these forces, then, you know, uh, you, know you, you do so at your own demise. And this is what people have to understand. And I wish the corrupt-ass African leaders would stop being so damn corrupt, the, damn, the, damn, the elite in African society stop being so damn corrupt and stand up and be men and women and, 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 and fight back as opposed to going along with it, even though going along with these, these, these Western designs, these Western plans, ultimately leads to their own destruction. So I will hope that they work the hell up and understand, you know, that they, they got to stop that. They have to stop that. You know, humanity depends on Africa in particular standing up and putting an end to, to Western, you know, Western kind of duplicity. Uh, until then, you know, the Western nations are empowered to do what they do, in particular the United States. And so nobody should think that somehow we're paranoid because we're telling you that that just drive both internally, in terms, inside the United States, and internationally to, to actually eliminate large number of people, particularly African and brown people. So this, I want people to understand that this is real. This is simply not a, simply not a joke. Uh, could I add something, Brother Africa? The Mike Joe's happening. Sure. Uh, regarding Agenda 2020, I uh, just want to uh, share a couple of paragraphs about, uh, about the implications of what they're calling uh, of what they're they're calling the pandemic, it says in this art uh, in this uh, article, after the pandemic has been officially declared, the next step may be also at the rec- recommendation, either by WHO or individual countries, forced vaccination under police and or military surveillance. Those who review who will refuse may be penalized, fines and or jail, and force vaccinated all the same. If indeed forced vaccination will happen, another bonanza for big pharma, people really don't know what type of cocktail would be put into the vaccine. Maybe a slow killer that acts up only in a few years, or a disease that only hits that hits only the next generation or a brain debilitating agent or a gene that renders women infertile. All is possible, always with the aim of full population control and population reduction. In a few years' time, one doesn't know, of course, where the disease comes from. 
That's the level of technology our bio war labs have reached. UK, U.S., U.K., Israel, Canada, Australia, all capitalist countries. So, uh, so uh, you know, so this is, um, you know, this, uh, you know, situation is an insidious form of warfare aimed at, uh, you know, eliminating primarily the African population that cannot be used. Uh, you know, for uh, you, you know, for for cheap labor supply. Also, think after some of the documents I read, as you talk about this question of this agenda ID twenty twenty, they were talking about how they could use the so-called perceived pandemic either to do a now or a pretext to use it as a basis to justify getting people. Shots where you can shoot these uh, microchips in, in human beings, where they constantly can, um, you know, monitor them. They can use it to transfer now money into digital money and doing away with paper money because with digital money, they will have total control of your activities. And this is something mm-hmm. they have always talked about, too. And this whole question of this 5G technology, it'd be, that would be a part of it. They can use the technology as a means to put chips into human beings where they can control their money digital-wise and control every aspect of them. Is this we, something that uh, people want to happen? Yes, Brother Hakeem. You know, the thing about it, though, I think what people don't realize is that when you do Internet transactions, for example, like you know, like you know, like uh, there are a whole slew of companies that cur- that, that 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 try to cur- encourage people to pay online and whatnot. That creates uh, an electronic trail of what the individual spent their money on, and uh, and uh, and I don't know how uh, you know how many people really understand that. That 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 the biggest advantage to di- digital money is that anyone who has access to your banking records can t- can uh, can look at what uh, what an individual has spent their money on as a kind of monitoring, and uh, you know, and something people need to be aware of. And uh, so, by doing away with uh, you know hard currency. And uh understand they've done that they've already done that in some Scandinavian countries. You know, uh you, you you know, it creates uh you know, a way from the monitor and once able to monitor, control what you spend your resources on. And for my and for my understanding, Bangladesh has already submitted to being the first country to test the process out, and they're going to use our people to do this. This is in the process taking place now from sources that I've read. Yeah, unfortunately, taking advantage of the Bangladeshis, because the situation in uh, Bangladesh is pretty, uh, uh, pretty uh, perilous. Um, so, uh, anyway... Yeah, uh, you know, but those things that you talk, that you and that you and the brother Anthony alluded to, uh, all discussed in the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum, which takes place in Davos, Switzerland, is a it's a forum of world leaders to come together to discuss important issues as pertain to economics. 
So no one should think that when these kind of discussions take place, they're taking place in isolation. These are some of the most powerful people on the planet, sending them to sign in the future of the planet, the future of who lives, who dies, who eats, who doesn't eat, who's educated, who's not educated. So we had to understand the nature of the beast and not understand this in isolation and somehow thinking that, they're, well, you know, uh, you know, just only the, 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 the elite of America you know, was, know what's going on. It doesn't work that way. They're very organized. They work as a team. And they tell you don't be don't think of think don't think collectively. They tell you think as an individual, but yes, they think collectively. They think as a group, and so therefore, this is why they're able to implement the kind of policies that they implement because they think as a group. So why you know countries independently working on ways in which to bring these things into existence, like for instance the uh, the depopulation, or as Dr. Tedros talks about the World Health Organization, the digital money for total control by the government, or forced forced uh, vaccinations, as Brother Anthony alluded to. Uh, each country is going to sit down and determine exactly how to bring these things into existence, because they sat down and they already talked about this important in terms of in terms of achieving these objectives. So we, we so we so if, if these people think organization is important, then damn, it seems to me that the press should really think that organization is important. The question is, why can't we get organized? I mean, what, what is the issue? I mean, you know, we need organization more than anybody else, uh, but. Anyway, I just say that to say that, uh, you know, to understand that this is, this, is, this is a global phenomenon. It's not I And on that note, we're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. If we define it, we're going to stand behind it. You listen to Africa on the move. We're going to pause for this cause. And when we come back, we will continue this discussion on what they are not saying about the coronavirus. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the move. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state... And you know, you've got to have the police, because... You know how we think, organize the hood under our ching banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? 
No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that, corporations hiring blacks. Denying the fact, exploiting us all over the map That's why I write the shit I write in my rap It's documented, I meant it Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's the low for push-ups now Many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution Yeah, I've been blackmailed Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice and the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state
went outside the realms of EU to get money and to buy money for China. Of course, they mentioned in the Middle East when they dropped in Iran and stuff, not only to for regime change, but to undermine various countries in the area, and China, of course, to undermine the economy. What do y'all make up that kind of analysis assessment? Yeah, well, I think I, I think you're absolutely correct. I think Italy is being particularly punished because of the audacity of Italy to actually work with China in terms of developing its economy and its infrastructure with the Belt Road Project. So I think they wanted to send a strong message uh, to the uh, to the um, to the to the Italians in terms of their disapproval in terms of their relationship with China. So I think that explains why the 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 particular strain of coronavirus was, was pretty deadly uh, that hit uh, that hit Italy. I think, Brother Africa, you're absolutely correct. One of the things in terms of what is, 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 is you know, is they, as they release these viruses, they learn more and more. The whole idea, it was speculated, was that they wanted to find a specific virus that could attach itself to particular cells based upon particular phenotypes. And so if you're Asian, then look at a particular, uh, a, a, a particular virus that would attach itself to Asian cells in terms of disrupting the ebbs and flow, you know, of, of, the, of, the, of the human system. Uh, when they talk about Africans, they say, well, how, what kind of virus best gels uh, uh, with the cells in African people in terms of creating the best results in terms of weakening and undermining the immune system of African people? How do they go about, you know, how do we do that? So they release these viruses and they observe to see what happens. See, this won't be the last time these viruses happen. There'll be more. But right now, they, they, they thought that they were pretty, they were pretty, uh, they thought they were, they were on top of their game. They actually thought about it, releasing that uh, virus in China. They actually thought that they were they they had the correct uh, the correct kind of virus to do the job in terms of eliminating large number of, of of Chinese. Well, they were wrong, and so as a consequence, uh, it didn't uh, it didn't pan out. Well, also in terms of one of the things that the precursors don't no end is the fact that African people have been relatively unaffected by these coronaviruses. Now, of course, you know that one of the continents that first get impacted by viruses. It's Africa, because the West want a weak Africa, and they do all that they can to make sure Africa remains disunited and weak. And so, therefore, you know that they're going to try to infiltrate Africa and ensure the spread of coronavirus in terms of impacting the population, so force Africans to spend large sums on the health care for the sole purpose of undermining African economies. Uh, but it didn't happen. Uh, the coronavirus that released in Africa have ver- relatively little effect. Uh, very few people to date have been affected by coronavirus in Africa. And uh, Africans did a courageous thing, and I have to give it to them. I mean, every now and then, you know, African leaders do courageous things. Uh, my brother uh, out of Ghana, brother, um, President Abdo, uh, I, I, and, um, and uh, brother, uh, brother out of Kenya, I've got his name, but anyway, um, Kenyatta, his brother, um, they told the U.S., we will no longer honor your flights. Don't send your flights to our countries. For an African country to tell the United States, you know, you're not welcome, that speaks volumes. Then perhaps it's possible that maybe Africans will find a nerve to tell the West, listen, no more, no more uh, 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 games as usual. That you know we're going to stand, we're going to pursue, you know, autonomy. Uh, we're going to be self-determined. And if, and if that means that that no investment from you, then so be it. Then we'll do what we got to do in terms of our own, in terms, of, in terms of, in terms of development. So who knows? Uh, maybe this is a, this is an omen of good things to come. Uh, in, in the sense that uh, these African states have said to the U.S., you know, we don't want your uh, we don't want your flights, so don't come here. <laughs> so, so anyway, so anyway, I think you're absolutely correct. So uh, right, but this won't be the last time there'll be a release of viruses. They're just trying to fine tune, you know, this this bioweaponry. Uh, it didn't work well this time. 
they'll come back with a different combination of genomes, different viruses, a concoction of viruses to create a coronavirus that's even stronger in terms of eliminating a large number of people. This won't be the last time. They will continue. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think also- that speaks to the importance of us being prepared. We have to be organized to uh, to be able to put an end to this once and all. Now, I, I think it's positive that uh, that Ghana and Kenya were able to stand up to the U.S. for a change, but that's only temporary. I mean, uh, recall what was done to Libya, uh, you know, by the U.S. and um, it was under U.N. auspices, granted. But my point is the fact that until Africa is united and organized and under a strong African government and a and a African military high command uh is going to be prone uh you, you, you know to attacks by the forces of imperialism and uh capitalism. But you know, panelists, I'm not sh- quite sure in terms of their lack of reporting uh, where the virus uh, spreading may not necessarily really has already penetrated Africa, and they're not saying anything. And later on, we come to find out it has had a devastating impact on their people. Because I think, brother Hackey, when you talk about pro- 25th, pro- 25th century project America, I know they had some. Um, Plans for Africa in 2050, where they talking about making the whole continent a, a continent of a land with no people. Hmm. And this is what they have conceptualized. Now, what is one of the best ways to create a scenario where you have a land with no people? And they're not talking about just outright bombing them. It's about biological warfare, by viruses. And speaking of that, um, one of the things came from this article and come from the presentation by Dr. Brother Saline as well, Muhammad, is that the methodology of delivering delivering these viruses, they can do it. They can do it to uh, radioactivity, to uh, microwaves and stuff. They can do it to cell phones and what have you. And one of the plans of the 5G, of the new technology they're creating, is where they can use the 5G devices as a means to do live human experimentation and transfer viruses through those mechanisms. So I think that you're right, Brother Hachi, and it's clear that we can't be unorganized and think we're going to be, be able to defeat an organized force. These people are highly technologically organized to find ways to want to dominate and control the whole world. But Brother Africa, let's 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 make sure we dispel uh, one myth. And I don't want people to think that if you're not technologically savvy, you can't win. The greatest technological innovations, the greatest technological innovation is the human brain. So you know, the human brain makes it possible for you to adapt to do what you have to do in terms of survival. And so people got to understand that. And I think, well, I'm not technologically efficient in terms of computer, or I don't understand in terms of latest research in terms of you know of viruses and so forth and so on. You know that's good to have that that kind of knowledge, but if you don't have that kind of knowledge, it doesn't preclude you actually being in a position to actually change the situation and make it much more humane. Uh, particularly when you talk about a situation when you're actually caught up in survival. So I won't I want people to think that well I don't have that technology, so therefore I, I'm of no use in terms of the movement. 
it's all about the ability to think. And so, therefore, by either by by, by either by putting institutions, by learning how to think, that is the key in terms of our survival. It's learning how to think, uh, and then you can you can figure out a way in terms of getting around whatever they do. You can figure a way to get around it. At least to the very minimum, you can block its its, its impact. Uh, but you got to be able to think. And so that is a critical central issue. It's not the technology per se. There's ability to think, which is important in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of waging, uh, waging uh, struggle. That is an excellent point because Vietnam is a good example, but history is a good example. I agree with you. It's not the technology that determines ultimately who will win the war, but the will of the people who is fighting it. Excellent point. Panelists, any other more response in terms of things people may need to know about? Based on no two documents that we have read and dissected. I would like to add add the issue that let's put a myth to this concept of a uh, uh, pandemic. Because as we alluded earlier, um, even based upon their numbers of a pandemic, you know, you're talking about at least over 12 percent of people, you know, are being infected or dying. It was reported that if this is a pandemic then why did never raise the same concern if you look at the various issues of people dying from having the flu or emphysema or what have you, there are more people who have died of those common um, sickness than all the deaths that have been combined up to this point, but no one has called those a pandemic. Why they have not chosen to take that path for these sickness that people are dying for on a daily basis? I think they're trying to hype this uh, situation. Uh, well, because it, well, in the U.S. It, 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 it benefits the big pharmaceutical companies uh, in the way of things like test kits, uh, medical treatment. Uh, recall we discussed earlier that everything in the U.S. is privatized. So it's all about uh, you know uh, you, uh, you know uh, making money off of off of people's suffering basically, and uh, you know they're trying to they're trying to do engage in various reforms to minimize that because uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the issues is uh, is providing funding for the necessary testing. Uh, you know, ensure people uh, can take time off of work to do that so they won't jeopardize their jobs. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, so it's a very, uh, you know, a very complex uh, sort of uh, uh, set of factors at work. Uh, But, uh, you know, but, 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 uh, you know, but there's no saying knowledge is power. So I mean, the more people know, the more they can they can make an informed decision about what needs to be done. You know, panelists, I would raise this question based upon being exposed to certain information. We have had certain discussions on the behavior of the West, particularly the role that these institutions are playing towards undermining the well-being of humanity. Um, for example. Do y'all think it's really a good thing to go and get tested and trust these tests that people be um, administrating to the general population? And if that is so, why is it the so-called 
um, president, the so-called president, the orange man, why he has chosen up to date with you to be tested, even though it has been presented that he may have been in an environment where he may have been exposed to it. We were told in some documents in some documents that they will create viruses in the future and the trick to spread viruses is not to actually have the people who have already been injected with it but have them to think they need to be tested and when you go in these hospitals and go to these places they will then inject it into the people mm-hmm. you have a response to that yeah. possibility yeah. Well, well. You you know what, Brother Africa? You can't discount that. I mean, you you really can't discount that. I mean, it's just you just don't know. I mean, given the the um, immorality that exists in society, you just you just don't know. Uh, these people have no allegiance to humanity, and so therefore, doing things that are immoral uh, simply doesn't register on their moral barometer. So uh, they're capable of doing quite anything. So the test that you take, um, you know, you got to be very selective in terms of. In terms of shots that you take, uh, flu shots I would not take. Uh, I, I won't take flu shots. Uh, one of the things I'm, 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 I'm mindful of the doctor, and I can't remember her name, but she's currently living in Panama. She left about uh, six years ago, and she said she's not coming back to the U.S. She says that she says she gave a warning. She said, "Do not take these shots. When they offer these shots to you, do not take them." She said because they're not what they're, they're designed to uh, weaken your immune system. They said, "Do not take them." She left the U.S. She said she's never coming back. So, so clearly, I'm, I'm always mindful of the fact that there's always a possibility. So, certain certain shots, you know, I I I won't take. You know, if I suspect that there's there's an ulterior motive, I'm not going to take it. I'm like, I'll pass. You know, if if I catch whatever it is, I'll catch it. But I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to take that kind of chance. So, I think you got to be very selective in terms of what you allow yourself to be injected with and, and what you and, and what you won't allow yourself to be injected with. And his feedback and response to those possibilities. I think uh, I, agree. I think I can agree because uh, I think uh, you know I think you know I think you have to be very careful uh, about uh, what what you what, what you inject into your body. Uh, let's see, and uh, it's very important that you have. That 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 you you know that you that you deal with doctors you trust, or you know who or who who think you know who want you know, uh, or who are who are as real with you as possible because um, one of the the, the uh, this article uh, on uh, on uh, hidden agendas and and pandemics points out is that they can uh they can put all kinds of chemicals in these uh in these injections and you don't know what's being injected into your body unless the doctor tells you. And if the state calls for a state emergency to impose that on the people, forcing folks to do this, what should be the people response? How should how should the people respond? What would be your recommendation? How do or how do I'm we deal with it? As the people, yes, brother Maurice. My recommendation is hell no, because in addition to what 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 uh, previous panelists presented, I, it was a report about shots that children, you know, the, uh, the shots to go to school. Children will have to get certain shots to go to school. So these shots to go to school. I can't 
give the name of the shot. It slips my mind right now. But the report presented the connection with these shots to the high rates of autism among kids. Um, it, it made that connection that these basically that these shots are the reason why we have high rates of um, autism. And I would add to the fact that about getting a flu shot. I never had a flu shot, and I never will have a flu shot. I had a doctor, one of my doctors, and I got rid of this doctor. The doctor got mad, had had developed a kind of like an attitude because um, I didn't give in to getting a shot. Uh, she was very adamant of me to get the shot, and um, I, I said, no, I don't want to get the shot. I had a, I had to basically um, uh, become uh, aggressive with her <laughs> because she was definitely was trying to get me to get the shot, but I had to, I had to switch up my doctor since then. Um, so, but I would say, hell no to that fact. You, you can't be forced to, to do anything. Um, the same reason I spoke about the Tuskegee experiment. You've been forced to do something that's suicidal. Um, but you on the, on the flip side of that, I would, I would express that you have to be smart. You have to be, uh, intelligent to your health. You know, your body best, you, you know, you have to take, proper vitamins, you have to have a proper, a proper diet, proper health. Um, it was something I seen on social media that all of the toilet paper was gone, all of the napkins was gone, all of the hand sanitizer was gone, but you still had uh, um, a half stock in the store of, you know, fruits and vegetables and uh, and, and vitamins. But you got you to gotta be wise to the fact to, uh, you know, take care of yourself by any means necessary. And I also wanted to make a point to what Brother Haki stated earlier about uh, the president in Ghana and, and president in Kenya, I would add to the fact that uh, um, the uh, Uganda, Uganda's Minister of Health, she also, I, w- I was kind of <laughs> like, you know, like like the same sentiment Brother Haki expressed. I was kind of applauded or, or, or happy, uh, made me smirk. Um, that they stood up to close their country off to European visitors. Um, Uganda did did the same, a similar, um, the same, uh, took the same initiative to do so. And I was kind of, you know, just that simple fact. But you can't negate the fact that, yeah, you can you can do that. That looks good. But you, at the end of the day, and I'm gonna uh, express Kwame Nkrumah's point in vision. We have to, uh, as uh, as Africa, we have to unite as a whole. Um, we have to become a, a united, uh, a united socialist state of uh, Africa. That's an. This is the only way we're going to beat this beast that we're uh, dealing with. But I, I conclude with saying that we have to, we have to organize. And when we, when we say organize, you have to join not the NAACP. I, I don't mean to be uh, rude, but you gotta, uh, you gotta, you gotta join a political, a revolutionary political organization because these organizations are prepare you. Um, politically, ed- educationally, and uh, and, re- and reality to survive this situation that's going on, so you don't have to panic, you know? so you don't have to um, uh, rush to go get a shot, <laughs> you know, or, you know, you don't have to be duped by the by this system, by this propaganda. I urge all listeners out there, please join a revolutionary political organization. You have to. Um, this this is your this is your final strategy at this point. Your panelists, your last response for this topic for tonight, what they are not saying about the coronavirus. I would like each one of y'all just respond to this respond to respond to this narrative. Many states are asking people
people to stay at home, closing businesses down for two weeks to a month, while at the same time they do not have any kind of process to to give you any kind of test to see if you have been infected by the virus. What sense does it make to say stay out for two weeks or a month and then you come back together in so-called large groups and you've never had the means of being tested one way or another? What do y'all make of that logic? Does that make sense to y'all? What's the logic behind well, that? I'm sorry. I just make this quick point. I know I just thought, I just want to make this quick point. Um, don't don't be too naive about uh, you know not being so, so socially because uh, that, that's that's the whole objective anyhow. This is why justification is this. This is why they uh, they they uh, take the strategy of fragmentizing us as a people. So we still we better uh, we better stay organized. We better stay socially involved with the brethren, with the sisters, so we can be on top of what's going on in our neighborhoods and in our African world. Don't be naive to the fact that oh I'm for yeah be wise. Don't be naive to the fact to be quick. Like, hey, I'm gonna isolate myself from from my brethren or my uh, or my you know my comrades. You gotta you gotta uh, stay in contact. I just want to make that point right right quick. Okay, panelists, if you're not being tested, you have no idea how it's spreading, what it really is. You stay out for a couple of weeks, then people start going back to business as usual. Then they find out later on it has triple duple. What is this? What is this staying out thing is all about? Yeah, well, there's there's there is no logic to it. Um, there's no logic to it. Uh, it's creating the perception that uh, they're interested in your health. In reality, they're not. Uh, the mere fact that the federal government refuses to invest in, in kits to to screen for coronavirus speaks volumes. So nobody should be deceived thinking that staying home is a solution. Uh, so I think that. This willingness in terms of ensuring uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the half a million people die as a result of coronavirus, I think by this kind of policy virtually ensures that, that half a million people will actually die. Mm. Moses, after, you have a response? Uh, it seems like, like the state had declared the people as the enemy of the state by their Actions, not by words, but go ahead, brother. I, uh, I I agree with you, brother Africa. I think I think you're right, and I think it. Uh, and you know, and and, and I think it, and, and I think you know, uh, you know, it um, it demobilizes uh, you know people, and I think the, and, and, and I think you know, you know, with the the way the. the you know, if all the crisis going on in the world, people need to get together. You know, more than ever, and uh, it's counter and 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 it's counter. You know, intuitive uh, to human nature in a sense because uh, you know we're the most social creatures on earth, and uh, so I think uh, you know I think we have to find ways. Of uh, you know ma- maintaining contact, be careful, of course, but uh, you know, but I think, but but we can't, you know, uh, but we have to, you know, uh, reach out to our people, and we have to share what we know and understand. You know, there are just so many things going on with this with this narrative. It's just a, just an add up. They say 
say it may affect the elderly people. It may affect the elderly people. Why would a disease be created just to affect elderly people and people certain certain biological makeup? While you know, at the same time, you are near advocating policies that say, well, the parents must stay away, stay at home. But in Baltimore, they can create a policy where they actually daycare to stay open. So there's a certain class of professional people can have their children to be attended to while they continue to work and not lose money. What's up with that game? What do y'all make of that? In Baltimore, we just received word that the governor going to make a certain policy where you can close most everything down but daycare centers. Have the, the young pupils to be, be in daycare while their mom and dad is be at home. Does that make any sense? What is that all about? In, in, mm. in response to that, into that logic doesn't doesn't make much sense, but um there is a realization that I've heard from the media that a lot of um that a lot of a, a lot of youth depend upon schools for their meals in addition to uh their uh, their miseducation. So uh you know so I think uh you know and also um uh let's see if people are 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 uh, you you know that that there's some businesses that depend upon people workers physically being there not everybody can work uh you know can work remotely so uh you know and so I think you, you know and Anthony, just raised to your point, most people don't have the tools to work remotely, and they know that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that's, an, uh, so, 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 you know, so the thing about it, though, it seems like an effort to try to, you know, protect the bottom line of these corporations once again. So we're going to build our Wall Street again, but not the people. Mm-hmm. So much of those who advocate for capitalism love this society, this country, and these two Democratic parties who support the same thing. But anyway, panelists, job well done. Well, I can ask each one of y'all if you can give me a one-minute summation on the theme, what they are not saying about the coronavirus. <laughs> I'll start with you, Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for the night. Yeah, well, this is... Uh... Uh, tragedy uh, unfolding uh, because of leadership. I, I, I think this because of leadership in terms of Donald Trump just wanting to be uh, seen as doing something and and uh, he's, he's delegated authority to Pence as his 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 czar uh, of the disease or whatever and uh, He's reporting to Donald Trump, and every minute he's talking about how Donald Trump is, has did this and Donald Trump has did that and and uh, how things are, are improving because of his leadership. And so it's, they're just sit, sitting there just um, self-congratulating each other and uh, 
And meanwhile, the people are, are losing out because the doctors are not are not really in charge. Uh, and uh, we need we need a a, a, um, a situation where we don't we don't uh, rely on paying these these pharmaceutical companies to develop to develop the the, the immunization and uh, and so we we are a profit driven system where we don't have anybody looking out for the real interests of the people and and um, and uh, there's no compassion there's not there's nothing uh, and we we're just a victim of capitalism I'll leave it right there thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contributions to today's program. We now may go with you, Brother Anthony. Your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that um, is that is that 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 people are being are 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 being victimized by biological warfare, and that uh, and that we have to organize. Uh, you know, accordingly to uh, you know to uh, look out for each other and for ourselves, and join an organization that is working for people's uh, liberation. And talk a little bit about upcoming African Liberation Day in Knockmark, Palestine, Day, and how they can they find out more information about your organization, Brother Anthony? Certainly, sir. The All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and the National Council of Arab Americans are organizing African Liberation Day, not by Palestine Day 2020, under the banner, Not Yet Uhuru, Not Yet Freedom, Not Yet Liberation, in combat with women's oppression, neocolonialism, Zionism, and settler colonialism worldwide. Uh, for more information, you can contact us at 202-246-4896 or visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contributions to today's program. And we now go to Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, you're finally to us for the night. Yeah, African Awareness be taking a trip to Cuba. This trip takes place July 24th to July 31st. For more information, give us a call at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association or one word, number two, at gmail.com. And my closing statement, of course, is that the situation is becoming perilous, you know, day by day. And if we think it's some kind of joke, then think again. We have to have organization. Without organization, there's no conceivable way to fight back. And as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix because uh, that's key to our survival. And, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Haki, for your contributions to today's program, to all my panelists and analysts, to our listening audience, friends, and supporters. And we would just like to let you know that remind you that our final summation for tonight can be all summarized, summarized in this statement. Don't believe in the hype. Don't believe in the hype of what they are saying about the coronavirus. On that note, we're going to end with Brother Peter Tosh, Equal Rights, followed by lessons from Brother Kwame Jure. He's going to speak on this question of the conscious versus the unconscious versus the conscious. The conscious versus the conscious. 
So please stay tuned. Coming up in less than 30 seconds. Equal rights, followed by Brother Kwame Ture, as we talk about the conscious versus the unconscious. You have been listening to Africa on the Move. It's a weekly radio program that comes on every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. It comes to deal with communities, oppressed communities. We're going to speak truth to power. And like we say, if we define it, we're going to stand behind it. So, again, we thank you for coming, allowing us to come to your home this evening. And let's bring on our brother, Peter, Equal Rights, followed by Kwame Ture, speaking on the conscious versus the unconscious.
کتاب رو کنی بردم Thank you for your warm welcome. You must excuse us for uh, sitting, but we have uh, some pain in our legs. <coughs> And uh, we're trying as much as possible to stay off of it while we're doing some tests with the uh, doctors. Of course, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party is always happy to be with the United African Movement. Uh, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party is always happy to be with the United African Movement. And uh, there are three members of, uh, three other members of our central committee who are present. Uh, Brother Ron Gibbs is here, no? Brother Ron Gibbs is here, yes. Sister Mawina Kuyate, who's also the head of the All-African Women's Revolutionary Union. And of course, we're always proud of our living history. Uh, This brother who has uh, come through many struggles was the chair of the Black Panther Party in New York during the rough times and since joined the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. I've had the honor of working with him for almost 30 years, a member of our central committee, the youngest member, David Brothers. <laughs> Thank you. Of course, we are always uh, honored to be with the uh, United African Movement because the world is divided into many, many different categories. But one of the categories which interests those of us who are concerned with advancing humanity the most is that between the conscious and the unconscious. This uh, division between the conscious and the unconscious must be properly understood. The people instinctively love freedom and they will instinctively fight for freedom. But you cannot win freedom on instincts, you can only win freedom on reason. Therefore, the unconscious are those who react on instinct. The conscious are those who react on reason. The job of the conscious is to make the unconscious conscious. Let us make a simple example. I think it was in 1992, after one more brutal beatings too many, the African population in Los Angeles, California revolted, rose up in righteous rebellion. This was instinctively revolutionary. Instinctively in the sense that it wasn't planned. Instinctive in the sense that it was this reaction to brutality. And this instinctive revolutionary act was very costly to American capitalism. It even had to bring in the American army, very costly. But since it was on instinct, it had no reason, nothing to direct it, it would spin itself out. 
Those who participated were largely unconscious. We must come to understand that the overwhelming majority of our people are unconscious. But just because they're unconscious, you shouldn't think they don't want freedom. As a matter of fact, sometimes the unconscious is quicker willing to give their lives in struggle than the conscious. These are simple facts. Would you imagine what it would be like when we are conscious rebellious, when we consciously organize to rebel in Los Angeles with reason? I mean making supply lines, making sure armaments are there, having hospital aids, having fire brigades, just like they do even in Ireland. Nothing big, just a little planning. Just a little planning. This is what we want to speak to you about this evening. Making the unconscious conscious. Now we must say from the very beginning, the only, underline the word only, the only route to consciousness is through struggle. Now for example, we've shown you the unconscious struggle. Those who rose up in righteous rebellion against the state police in Los Angeles, they were, they were consciously involved in struggle. They were involved in struggle, unconscious, but involved in struggle. The conscious must understand precisely what their task is, and we've said this two years ago here, we repeat it. Ours is not to teach the people to be conscious, but to make them conscious of their unconscious behavior. Our task is not to teach the conscious to be, to teach the unconscious to be conscious, but to make them conscious of their unconscious behavior. Because unconsciously, instinctively, they seek freedom. What we must do is make them conscious. Look, you want freedom anyway. Let's be serious. Let's sit down. Let's plan it. Let's wait protracted war. And let's tear down the system and walk on to liberation. It's as simple as that. This aspect of the unconscious becoming conscious is linked to mobilization and organization, something we mentioned last year. We must make clear distinctions between mobilizers and organizers. To be an organizer, you must be a mobilizer, but being a mobilizer doesn't make you an organizer. Much confusion is to be found here. Malcolm X was a great mobilizer. He was a great organizer. Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer. He was not a great organizer. These facts can be easily seen from King and Malcolm. When Malcolm went to a place, he left a mosque. When King went to demonstrations, he broke down desegregation and he moved on. As a matter of fact, King was not concerned with organization to the point that even though he was the most popular Baptist preacher in America without the shadow of a doubt and probably beyond the shadow of a doubt the most loved. He could not become president of the Baptist National Baptist Association uh, Convention. Yeah, so many of them. The National Baptist Convention. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if my memory serves me correctly now, and I remember it was Mohammed Speaks that uh, carried the article on the front page in 1964 when King tried to become president of the National Baptist Convention, there was so much confusion there that a minister was actually put, pushed off the stage and died in the trouble. Yeah. And of course, King lost. 
The man who won was a reactionary man by the name of Jackson. He never did nothing for the people, never cared about the people, just was a pork chop minister who used their money to put gas in his big Cadillac. But he was organized. But he was organized. We say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mobilization is very easy. Very, very easy. Because since we're people who are instinctively ready to respond against acts of injustice, anytime there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. Miss Sally lost her job. Let's rally. She'll get her job back. People will come and rally. So-and-so got kicked out of school because the teacher's unjust. The unjust, the people will come and rally. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. If we would look scientifically at the October 16th million and more march, we would see clearly that this was a mobilized event, not an organized event. We must know clearly the difference between mobilization and organization. One of the characteristics of mobilization is that it is temporary. Organization is permanent and eternal. Clear differences must be made because the unconscious can usually be captured easily around one-issue items, around mobilization items, but it's hard to catch them around organization. But these unconscious must be brought to organization. We must transform mobilization to organization. We say the enemy will come and use mobilization to demobilize us. Many brothers and sisters who've been to the Million and More March will say to you, I was there. Well, what are you doing today, my sister? I was there. There weren't too many sisters out there, but you know, with a million brothers together, you know where I had to be. I was there. <laughs> and then, of course, you find brothers. Yeah, I was there. I was there. I helped you. What are you doing today, brother? If we're not careful, we allow mobilization to become events. The struggle is never an event. It's a process, a continual, eternal process. We say it is our job to use mobilization to drive us to organization. You know our theme is organization. We want power. We don't want money. We don't want fame. We don't want fortune. We don't want popularity. We want power. Power. And power comes only from the organized masses. Power comes only from the organized masses. Therefore, since this is what we're concerned with, power, and we as a Pan-Africanist, we have every right to be concerned with it. Africa, after all, is the richest continent on the face of the earth. Properly organized should be the most powerful continent on the face of the earth. Therefore, our drive towards power is clear. We want power, and we can only have power through the organized masses. Of course, capitalism 
a system which in deforming our thinking always seeks to make it appear as if the organized masses is some unattainable goal. Even the other day when speaking to a sister who, uh, sister who's been involved in uh, activities over a period of years, she said, uh, Kwame Ture, uh, so you when you say a mass party, what do you mean? I said, I mean a mass party. She said, but the APRP goes everywhere in England, they go in the Caribbean, in, uh, uh, in, uh, in the United States, in Africa, and they're always saying about a mass party. What do you mean? I said, every African in the world inside our party. She said, are you going to get that? I said, that's what I'm working for. And if I don't get it, my granddaughter going to get it. But I'm working for it. <clears throat> Her disbelief comes from the fact that capitalism tells us that, well, you can be scientific about everything except human nature. That people are so different, they have such different tastes, such different ta-la-la-la, that you can't bring them together under the same roof. This is a lie. We will never tire of saying it. Capitalism does not lie some of the time. It lies all of the time. When it tells the truth, it's a result of a double lie. <coughs> it's a logical fact. It's a logical fact. So capitalism has this belief that you can't organize all the people around the same thing. That's not true. You can organize all the people around one thing, truth. Now what capitalism will try to make it appear as if the truth is not one truth, but anybody can have the truth. This is stupidity. Nobody's born with the truth inside of them. If they were, they wouldn't need to live. We come to know the truth from outside of us. Some people think that they know the truth because they were born to know the truth. That's a lie. You know the truth from constant struggle against lies. That's how you know the truth. Constant struggle against lies. For example, they try to make it appear as if we Africans will not arrive at uniting ourselves even around, even the question around our identity. Well, you may call some of them Africans, but some call themselves black, some still call themselves colored, some, that's fact, they do that. But this is because they've been miseducated by a system which seeks to keep us divided, and this is the truth. And this is the truth. Obviously, we cannot be all of us so many different things. We must be one thing. Of course, for our party, there's no question. As for the United African Movement, we're Africans. End of discussion. End of discussion. This struggle is not an easy struggle. The struggle to go from Negro to black was a difficult struggle. Capitalism did everything to roll it back. Even had us confused. I'm not black, look at me, I'm brown colored. Yes. I'm not black, I got Indian blood in me. Oh. What nonsense they didn't have us say, just to run away from the truth. We told them then, it is more difficult to go from Negro to black than it is to go from black to African. Many people criticized us for our efforts. Oh, in the 1970s, we had our last press conference, we said, we're going to put the word Africans on the lip of every African in America and we're not going to use the capitalist media press. And we have done it and we have not used the capitalist media press. As a matter of fact, the capitalist media press 
in trying to stop us from going to Africans in America, tried to throw out African Americans. They did it. We saw the whole scene. It's our job. We followed it carefully. Of course, they want to say African-Americans, of course, that keeps us exactly where we are. If you're African-American, you're obviously not the same like an African-Kenyan. And certainly not the same like an African-Brazilian. And certainly not the same like an African-Trinidadian, etc., etc., etc. But once you're just African, ain't no question. Ain't no question. You African, yeah, where you were born? Trinidad. You African, yeah, where were you born? Uganda. You African, yeah, where were you born? Egypt. You African, yeah, all Africans. Once you have proper identity, one of your biggest problems is solved. Because a people must know their national interests. A people must have a clear understanding of their national interest. The job of American imperialism is to let us think that our national interest is within the confines of American imperialism. That's why black American, African American, anything but make sure they hold on to America. When the conscious comes to understand that they're Africans born in America, Africans living in America, their whole outlook changes completely. America no longer becomes their world. Of course, this is a difficult task because America convinced everyone that she is the world. I'm sometimes amazed when I come in this country and hear them say world news. Here they come. World news. Today, President Clinton said... <clears throat> world news. Today, Newt Greenwich said... World news, those who's running for president can't. It's like, you know, it's like their World Football Association. <laughs> no, nobody played but them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, the first conscious act in organizing our people is to let them know who they are. If you think you're an American, you will fight to protect the interests of capitalist America. If you know you ain't no American, you fight to destroy every aspect of American capitalism. <laughs> Our people have been unconsciously moving towards Africa. You know, I am uh, very fortunate. I spend a lot of time with our people, and I always stay with the poor. I stay with the poor because the poor, they are pure. I mean, the poor will fight and give their lives for positions which they're incapable of occupying. They shock me sometimes with their naivety and their honesty. No wonder they can so easily be exploited. I remember one sitting in Ghana at the house of uh, Akbar Mohammed, who's the uh, international representative of the Nation of Islam. And uh, there was a lot of people in the house, so I walked outside in the gate, and I sat down, there's a little kennel there, and a concrete, I sat down by the kennel. The gardener next door came and sat down next to me. We began talking. So we talked naturally about Ghana. We talked about Ghana, we talked about Nkrumah. So after a while he said, were you born in Ghana? Are you Ghanaian? I said, no, I wasn't born in Ghana. I just live in Guinea. He said, but you know a lot about uh, Ghana. I said, well, yeah, I did a lot of study of the Ghana Revolution. I didn't tell him that I was the 
uh, political secretary of Kwame Nkrumah when Nkrumah was co-president in Guinea. I didn't even tell him who I was. You know, it, Kwame Ture meant nothing to him, just another name. After talking with the man for about half an hour, you know what the man said to me? Doesn't even know me now. He said, you know what? He said, listen, I only went to third standard. That's like about third grade. He said, I don't have no education, but people like me, we could fight and put people like you in power and you'll help us. Yes. I've seen it everywhere. In the South, I used to see people die for positions they couldn't occupy. As a matter of fact, people who couldn't get to the university died so students who had the ability could get to the university. People who couldn't vote died for people to become mayors. It is these pure poor that we must be concerned with. These are the ones we must organize. These are the real makers of history. Forget the ones who are always talking and doing nothing. Get the poor, the pure. Watch their movement. The instincts are always correct. Our people have been unconsciously moving more and more towards Africa. Of that there isn't the slightest question. I saw it years ago. In the mid-1970s, I was going through Mississippi. I'd spent the 60s there and visited a sister whom I know was very active in the movement. She'd now been married and had a child. So the husband and her were very excited. They wanted to show me the child, as any uh, parents would be. And of course, me too, I was excited because I knew it was a little girl. I wanted to see uh, my granddaughter, if you will. So uh, when she came, I held the door. I said, what's the name? She said, uh, Ajola. I said, Ajola? She said, yes. I said, what does it mean? She said, I don't know. I just made it up. Does it sound African? <laughs> this was in the mid-1970s in Mississippi. I remember in the 1970s, late 1970s, I saw a young man. He was wearing a red, black, and green jacket. I stopped the man, young boy. I said, young blood, what's this uh, red, black, and green? He said, those are our colors. I said, what do you mean, our colors? He said, man, these are our colors. You don't know our colors? I said, no, what do you mean, our colors? He said, man, red for blood, green for the lamb, black for us. You don't know this? I said, no, I don't know this. He said, man, where are you coming from? He started to walk away. I said, brother, have you ever heard of a man called Marcus Garvey? He said, Marcus Garvey, who's he? I said, he's the one who gave you the colors. <laughs> the unconscious are moving towards Africa. It is job of the conscious to make them conscious of their unconscious actions. Since our people are moving towards Africa, it behooves us clearly to come seriously and to organize properly this movement and putting Africa as its primary. This is the job of the conscious. But the conscious gets their sustenance from the unconscious. I am certain that most of the brothers and sisters attending the Million and More March were unconscious. Unconscious in the sense that they do not consciously try to develop themselves in a systematically basis, on a day-to-day -day basis, to make a contribution to the people. But the milieu which that unconscious mass created now makes it possible for the conscious mass to make this unconscious mass quickly conscious. <laughs> quickly conscious. And this is our task. I had the honor, when working for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in 1968 in Washington, D.C., after having served as one year as the chair of the organization, of being with the stick team that helped develop the first black united front in this country. It came out of Washington, D.C. It was well organized. 
After leaving for Africa and uh, much confusion, mainly with the infusion of money into the Black United Front, the front fell apart. Moving to the All African People's Revolutionary Party, we have done everything in our possibility to create an African United Front. What do we mean by an African United Front? We are saying that those organizations which are politically on the front lines fighting for our people, like the NAACP, like the Urban League, like the Nation of Islam, etc., etc., should come together and form a united front. This united front is a very simple thing now, a very simple task. All it means is that we come together and have common meetings. And if we hear one attacking the other newspaper, we don't respond to the newspaper. We telephone each other and ask them. Our party has been doing much work on this. Because we're among comrades who work, we will give you some of our files, which is not made public. Only here are we doing so. The Nation of Islam was an observer at the Washington, D.C. Black United Front. Although invited to join, they felt that at that time they wanted to observe. They were allowed full participation except voting, which they themselves accepted as observers. That is, they could fully participate in every level of the discussion. When the United Front broke up, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party quickly moved to put together a United Front. We had brought together Mr. Roy Wilkins, who was alive at that time, this was in 1972. Uh, Vernon Jordan. Who was before Vernon Jordan, Jordan, Jordan? The one who died in Africa. Whitney Young. No, it was, I'm sorry. Whitney Young had died. It's correct. It was Vernon Jordan. Vernon Jordan was then at the Urban League. Of course, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was alive, and he was sending uh, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan as his representative. Jesse Jackson was representing Push. Dorothy Hyde, the uh, National Council of Negro Women, Reverend uh, Abernathy, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, in his core, and we represented the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. My brothers and sisters, I'll tell you the truth. You must never get discouraged in struggle. You will build something, and the enemy will knock it down, and you'll have to start from zero. But as we say in our party, we're starting from a higher qualified zero. You must never be discouraged in struggle. As a matter of fact, the easiest way for the enemy to take you out is to make you frustrated and disgusted. Oh, I went to that meeting. They ain't doing nothing. I ain't got no time for them. Until they get serious, I ain't going there. What you doing? I ain't doing nothing. And they really think that they're intelligent. They think they've made a great statement. So you must not be discouraged, but the enemy's job is to discourage us. We did a lot of work trying to get that meeting together, a lot of work, a lot of work. And because of a Zionist plot, because of a Zionist plot, they wrecked the entire meeting in 48 hours. The meeting was wrecked, but we were not. <laughs> and we are revolutionaries. You knock it down, we're coming back stronger. We accepted defeat, we licked our wounds, we pursued our battle. We continued with this aspect of it, 
During that time, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad passed. Before his death, you know, death has robbed me of so many things in life. It really has, really has. The most recent one was I have a brother who's in jail in uh, Florida for killing a white policeman. Uh, this brother has been isolated in jail. Nobody writes him, uh, so he has a lot of problems. And uh, his father and I knew each other from struggling days back in the 60s in Dayton. Asked me to write him. I wrote him. So you know when brothers are in jail, they ain't got nothing to do. So he writes me a letter every day. And uh, I respond to all his letters because he's in jail, you know. And uh, last year, when uh, speaking on telephone, I told him, I think I have everything careful. I sp I'm going to speak to uh, Bill Kunstler, and I'm sure Bill Kunstler will look at the case. In March of last year, I had lunch with Bill Kunstler and, uh, in New York here, and Bill Kunstler agreed to take the case. And he said, but you know, I'm just a little bit busy now. Give me about two or three months, and then send me a letter, and I'll pick up the case. So I waited two or three months, and... When I wrote the letter, before the letter arrived, uh, Kunstler was dead. So death has robbed me of many uh, political victories in life and created more work for me. But I'm a revolutionary. I accept it because I know my death is going to create a lot of work for others. <laughs> so it's robbed me of a lot. The Honorable Elijah's, uh, Mohammed's death robbed me of a, robbed the All African Peace Revolution Party of a golden chance to uh, create the United Front. Of course, you know, when the Nation of Islam came up, there was first uh, Wallace Dean Mohammed, the son of the uh, Honorable Elijah Mohammed, and then, you know, there was a little uh, discussion, and uh, finally, uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan decided to uh, return with the original uh, theories and actions of the Honorable Elijah Mohammed. When Minister Louis Farrakhan first came out, of course, now I'm blessed that you know, I've known Minister Louis Farrakhan for over 30 years, and worked with him for over 30 years. Of course, we're not in the press all the time, but we're in contact all the time. And uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan and I discussed much, step by step. Of course, the only thing I had in my mind was the African United Front. That's all I want. And uh, Minister Farrakhan said, okay, he sees it, he understands it, but he needs to get a little bit stronger. Fine. Uh, 1982, I, our party made an assessment, and uh, we said, okay, the nation of Islam is strong enough now to do the work for the African United Front. We cannot do it, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, because uh, from the time they see us, we tell them we're revolutionary, we're socialist, we ain't bending, we're anti-Zionist, you can do what you want, that's your problem. You understand? So we don't bend, but the Honorable uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, he's charming, and you know, he's sentimental minister can quote Bibles so he can sit down with preachers and all these others etc so after observing his movements uh, the All African People's Revolutionary Party mandated me to go and uh, visit uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan and to give him the uh, files of the African United Front and tell him that it was his responsibility to call the front of course it was a task that I enjoyed undertaking I hadn't seen him in some time and uh, I had a beautiful day. We spent the entire day at his house there in Chicago. You know, he just uh, separated uh, from uh, uh, Dean Wallace Muhammad and his forcibly coming back. And uh, I took for him some old copies of Muhammad Speaks. Now, if you look at the old copies of Muhammad Speaks, every middle page that you open had two black hands reaching across the oceans calling for a united front. Every, uh, every issue of Muhammad Speaks. We must know our history, and we must not, never be ungrateful to those who taught us. 
The Honorable Elijah Mohammed has taught me an awful lot, and I know he's taught our people an awful lot, and for that alone, I'll be forever grateful to him. Minister Farrakhan agreed to take the program. He had no choice. I told him, this is your program. This is what your leader says you're supposed to do. Here, my leader is your leader. And you say you're following his footsteps, you know, and he was getting ready to do it. He didn't do it. Here's your chance. You're supposed to do what he didn't do, you know. So, of course, Farrakhan had no choice. He had to accept it. We were well prepared. Everything was in proper order to have, finally, once again, our African United Front. By... 19, uh, when was uh, Jesse first talking about running for president? Was well, 1984. When did uh, Farrakhan make the alliance with him? November 83. So by 82, I left me. I went back to Africa. Everything was moving. I was in contact with uh, Minister Farrakhan. Our party people were in contact, feeding us step by step. I came back uh, in early 1983. I met with uh, Minister Farrakhan. I explained to him uh, precisely the steps that we thought we could help in bringing the African United Front together. After some time, he asked that we have a meeting late in the year, probably around September, October. I'm telling the truth exactly what was said at the meeting. Minister Farrakhan said to me, he said, uh, at that time, uh, Jesse Jackson had declared he was going to run for presidency, and he was under a lot of threats, you know. And I certainly thought that some crazy whitey was going to pop him, you know. But I have no problem with it. My life is on the line all the time. I put my life on the line for one thing. You put your life on the line for another thing. I ain't got no problem with it. You know, so Minister Louis Farrakhan came to see me. He said, you know, and he's very clever, Minister Farrakhan. He's very clever. When he's already, he wants to soften up, he comes, he always plays that violin for you. Oh, Brother Kwame, you're my younger brother. But you know, you are so profound in political analysis. You surpass us all, but even though I am your older brother, I must come and seek advice from you. <laughs> he's rough, you know, he's rough on that violin. <laughs> he sings some sweet songs on that violin. <laughs> so, of course, after seeking my advice, he came to seek my advice. He said, I want to make a decision. I said, what's that decision? He said, I want to put the FOI at uh, the disposition of Jesse Jackson to protect him. I said, well, if you want to do that, that's your decision. He said, well, you don't seem enthusiastic about it. I said, well, I'm not. <laughs> he said, well, uh, Jesse Jackson might get killed. I said, he probably will get killed. He said, don't you think we need to protect him? I said, that's your decision. It's your FOI. You know, he said, so now he saw that it was getting serious. He said, uh, you know, he's clever. He's clever. Because he'll switch on you fast. You know, if, not, if you don't switch with him, you'll be in back gear while he's in front gear. You're already saying yes when you start, thought you were saying no. Yeah, he's rough. He said, well, uh, I bet if you were uh, being hounded and attacked by uh, people, you'd want the FOI to protect you. I reminded him very slowly and very carefully, Minister Farrakhan, when I was elected chair of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the first public meeting I had as chair was a meeting with the Honorable Elijah Mohammed in his house in Chicago where I spent 15 hours. In fact, it was here that I met Mohammed Ali for the first time. This is way back, this is before, well, I know you old people, so yeah, before you were born. We were talking about 1966 here, easily. 30 years ago, yeah. 
At the end of the meeting, of course, you know I'm a young man. I'm, I'm 26 years old at this time, you know, 26. I've heard the Honorable Elijah Muhammad all my life. What am I going to say to this man? This man used to raise me up, you understand? This man taught me things, gave me courage. I said, he's saying that on the radio? Is he crazy? Yeah, he's a white devil. That's what I said. They ain't nothing but white devils. That's what they, yeah. Yes. He'd tell the truth right out there. He wouldn't bite his tongue for nothing. You know, and uh, I reminded uh, Honorable Elijah, uh, the Minister Farrakhan, I said, at the end of the day, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad looked at me. I was sitting directly across from his table. He said, son, he said, the devil wants you. I said, yes, sir. He said, son, the devil is out to get you. I said, yes, sir. He said, son, you must be careful. I said, yes, sir, I'll be very careful all my life. I've been working in a, a, dying, a mine pit among the enemy, and I'm older now. I have more experience. So he said, they're mean. You know, I said, yes, sir, I know they're mean. He said, they're going to get you. I said, yes, sir. He said, so, son, I'm going to put the FBI at your, the FOI at your disposition. Everywhere you go, I'm going to send out an order that the FOI must protect you. Now, you know, this was really too much for me, you know. So I started, I said, well, sir, thank you, you know, but you know, the FOI is so busy. I'm so busy. I'm running here and there. This will be such a task for them, really. I thank you, sir. I really appreciate it, sir. And I, you know, I go through all this humble pie about thank you, but I don't need it. You know what he said? He said, son, I wasn't asking you. That's just what he told me. And if you go and look at pictures in the past, you see everywhere I go, the FOI was there protecting me from the 60s. You would look and you would see that. So I reminded this to Minister Louis Farrakhan. I reminded him of it. And I said, Minister Farrakhan, the FOI will protect me, but I promise you they will never protect me because I want to be President of the United States of America. They might protect me because I want to rip up America, but never because I want to be President of America. Well, he saw that uh, his clever trick didn't go so well. So he backed up again. He said, well, uh, what do you think about the alliance? I said, it's a great mistake. He said, why? I said, because uh, Jesse Jackson is a Democrat first and foremost. The Democratic Party jumps to the tunes of the Zionists. While the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee was a confrontational organization and confronted Zionism outright, the first place I read about the Palestinian struggle in this country was in the Mohammed Speaks newspaper. The Honorable Elijah Mohammed taught me about Palestine when no left-wing paper in this country did. And they talk about nationalism is chauvinism. Look at them. I saw pictures of Malcolm X shaking the hands of PLO representatives when the PLO was first organized in 1964 in Mohammed Speaks. In Mohammed Speaks. Therefore, I told him, I said, the Zionists, they hate us, but they know you the first. <laughs> so what I'm worried about is when they spoil the union and it splits. You understand? Which side of the fence you going to be on? Because I know Jesse going to be with the Zionists. Because that's the Democratic Party. I'm just brutally honest with you. I'm telling you exactly what was said between us. We had a very frank discussion. After that discussion, I told him, what about the African United Front? He said, it's still good. Of course, me, myself, I knew with the thing with Jesse, it was problems. But in spite of obstacles, you must do your work.
In spite of obstacles, you must persevere. I said, well, I want you to meet uh, Jesse ja Jax, uh, John Jacobs of the Urban League. He said, I've never met him. I said, I'd like you to meet him. He said, you can arrange a meeting? Will he meet with me? I said, yeah, I can arrange a meeting. He'll meet with you. I arranged a meeting at Johnny Jacobs' uh, office here in New York, in Manhattan. The first time they met each other, I just sat in the background, talk, talk, talk. So well did our meeting go that Minister Louis Farrakhan and Johnny Jacobs signed a letter that day issuing a call for a united front among the political organizations in this country. We have it in our files. When the time comes, we will demonstrate this. The Urban League has a copy, Farrakhan has a copy, and Major Thatcher, Thatcher, Hatcher, Hatcher, <laughs> Hatcher from Gary has a copy because at that time he was head of the mayors and we were working with him, of course. Uh, of course, I went back to Africa. It didn't take me long before I heard all this nonsense about gutter religion, Judaism, gutter, or dirty religion, or whatever, whatever, and uh, Jesse having to uh, split from Farrakhan, and you know what happened. Of course, I knew it would happen. But when we were with uh, Jacobs, Minister Farrakhan, and myself, one of the things we agreed upon was that we must have the phone numbers of each other. They didn't even have each other's phone numbers. And we must have the house phone numbers. So that when we hear something on the radio that Farrakhan said this about Jacobs, before Jacobs attacks Farrakhan, Jacob will call Farrakhan and see if what the paper says is true. We agreed to this. We did agree to this. Of course, this was not written in the letter. This was a verbal commitment. But we're brothers. We can't lie. And I'm a revolutionary. I can't lie to you. Of course, when Jesse Jackson uh, made his split and the Zionists once again with a nice plot did everything, Johnny 